This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Happy Monday as you get a whole new week started here. Good luck to us all. Isn't that the case? Our good friend, Terry South, out this week on uh, paternity leave. Cute little baby girl, Morgan, is now on the earth. She was born Friday night, nine pounds, six ounces. That is a large baby. That's pretty good size. It's a big baby. I was 10'4". Really? <laughs> Wowzers, 10-4. I was probably under seven pounds. See? Right on. Sadie, too. We, boy, that those are some big babies. Uh, her name is Morgan. They named her Morgan. Morgan South. And everyone's healthy. Mom's fine, doing great. Dad, stressed out of his mind, probably. No, probably not. He's stressed because he can't just come to work. He, it's right. He's going to eat a lot. He's probably going to gain. I gained 10 pounds per kid. Did you gain weight with your children? Um. Yeah, still gaining. Yeah. I still have sympathy weight. I gained a lot of weight as a baby, too. Yeah. 10 pounder. Your mom must hate you. Not well, I was the last child. Ah. So you just decided to... Really take it out on the mama. Hey, we got a great show for you today. Today, of course, it's Monday, so we talk politics today, and uh, we will be getting into the. Uh, there's, you know, under forty days, thirty something days left in this crazy race. You've got a paper chain at home, don't you? Oh yes, counting them down, just cutting them off one chain, one link at a time. It's going to be a great uh, day because we're talking with Joe Cannon today. He's our Joe in the know, and we. We like to have Joe on the show and pick his brain about what what he really thinks is going on. Uh, Boy, there's been a lot of a really horrible week, I think, last week for Donald Trump by every measure. And we'll see what uh, he thinks about that, what Joe thinks about that. Plus, um, you know, Julian Assange has got a bunch of stuff he wants to release. He's he's been talking about it forever. He was supposed to release it, and then I guess that was all held off because of security reasons. But people think this could be the October surprise where Hillary Clinton becomes unhinged. Hmm. Doubt it. If I'm going to go with the money, I'm going to doubt it. But um, crazy, crazy political talk coming up. And uh, just interesting articles. Man, I've got a few articles I want to review with Joe as well. Just what they're saying in the New York Times, um, who, again, is backing Hillary Clinton and other newspapers coming out, Wall Street Journal. I mean, very well-known conservatives that have always backed conservatives now getting behind Hillary Clinton. If that's going to make any impact, we'll find out from Joe Cannons. We'll get to all of that fun. Plus, a lot of uh, interesting uh, days to celebrate. What, What are some of the days we're celebrating today? Do you remember, Jeff? I'm trying to find it. Well, I kind of feel like you're pushing me around right now. Why? Like, just like making you do more work? Yeah. I mean, just back off. Back off. It is I Virus see. Appreciation Day. 
I say that because it's World Day of Bullying Prevention. Uh, now, we've barely started bullying. So I've got Sadie in there. She's going to keep an eye on you, make sure that... Uh, She's guarding you? Yeah. Yeah, we won't bully you. But it is also the day we appreciate viruses. Do you appreciate them? I don't know. I've got something wrong with my leg right now that I'm not appreciating. I don't know what it is. It's not like I did anything strenuous. Boy, maybe I'm just getting old. No. Nah, it couldn't be that. Uh, so today is the World Day of Bullying Prevention. We're going to stop bullying. Today's the day to stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Nelson. Also, Virus Appreciation Day. Today, you, you, can't, you can't get enough of your viruses today. I'm convinced I'm going to try to go this entire winter without a cold. Good luck. Yeah. I was listening to a tape that said I need to set goals. That's my goal. Was that one of your tapes? No. It was someone else's. That is virus-free. I'm going to go virus-free. But I will bully people. I'm not going to fix that for myself. So today, celebrating two big days, virus and, and bullying, by the way. We'll get to all of that, plus other crazy stories in the news that you just won't believe. Some of them you probably don't even need to hear, but we want to give you a chance to experience life fully. But first, let's get to the headlines with our very own Sadie Nielsen, uh, who, by the way, is carrying double duty, also has to, she's filling in for uh, the great Terry South, who's away with Morgan. Sadie, take it away. The Chicago Tribune, a Windy City newspaper that historically backs Republican candidates, endorsed Libertarian Gary Johnson on Friday, calling him practical and experienced. The Tribune has a long history of supporting Republican presidential candidates and did not endorse a Democrat for president until 2008, when then-Illinois Senator Barack Obama ran for president. They also endorsed Obama's re-election in 2012. The paper suggested that both Trump and Clinton have appealed to voters whose beliefs are not in the best interest of all Americans. Hillary Clinton's campaign Saturday night seized a New York Times report about Donald Trump's 1995 tax records, in which the Times showed he declared a $916 million loss that could have allowed him to legally skip paying federal income taxes for up to 18 years. The report contains some of the most detail of Trump's financial empire that has been publicly reported. It was immediately picked up by Clinton's campaign, which sought to make Trump's refusal to release his tax returns a major issue of the campaign. As an estimated 10,000 Syrian ground-led troops amass east of Aleppo, the U.S. is considering a tougher response to Russia over its support for the Assad regime and its role of the bombardment of the city. The troops have gathered in advance of what is believed to perhaps be a final ground assault over the coming days by Syrian government forces against rebels holding the key city and what one U.S. official described as an unprecedented degree of firepower to be unleashed on the besieged area. While no decisions have been made about moving against Russia, American consideration of more aggressive actions comes amid a threat by Secretary of State John Kerry Thursday to halt diplomacy with Moscow over Syria. And finally, yes. So, do you remember when we talked about last week uh last week a woman was about to pay $50,000 to punch Martin Scarelli yeah. in the face? Yeah. Well, apparently she uh backed out of that offer. So, Scarelli shared a tweet of explaining that um she <laughs> had won the auction to punch him in the face and she had changed her mind and placed her social media on private. Oh, come on. <laughs> So the woman who indicated she donated 50K to the deceased families uh, has backed out and turned to Twitter on private. He wrote, would anyone like to replace her? Oh, wow. I wonder, 
Boy, you'd think someone would want to. Yeah. And keep in mind, this is the man who changed, I forget which drug it was, but he changed the drug from being $13.76 to yeah. like being 756 And it was like a cancer overnight. drug. It's a drug yeah. you have to have to, to take care of your cancer. And yeah, just drove the prices right up. Maybe she got bullied out of doing it. See, it's Bully Prevention Day. Something happened. Something she probably thought, well, if I was going to do it, I really got to, I really got to slap this guy or punch him. And absolutely, maybe she's just against bullying. And she said, you know what, I need to be the bigger person and just back out of this. But then you should just pay the money. But then you, I guess you're paying the money to the guy who's going to. Uh, you're giving the money to a, tr- a charity, I guess. Yeah. But it seems like they ought to. There's a lot of people that would want it. Maybe you could just give ten people a shot at five grand a time. You know, everyone gets five grand. They little. Not a full-on punch, but just a little, just a little slap. A little slap to the face, yeah. Wow! wow. Thanks, Sadie. Way to, way to talk violent. You know, it's anti-bullying day. She has to get the story in there. It's uh, it's a big day on. I don't know what to do because Terry, I I know he's going crazy at home. He is probably sitting there like he's got this itch that he just yeah. can't scratch. Because he still sent in audio. And when when he sends in audio, that means he's he's still – he just – you know, once – there's only so much he can do, right? He probably didn't even sign in, didn't log those hours. No. Oh, no. He's just playing with his baby and – doing audio. That's just what he does. Um, a lot to talk about. Over the weekend, uh, Saturday Night Live went uh, crazy and basically, um, what, do they, what do you want to call it? They, they did a skit about the debate. It was their cold opening. It was their cold opening. And it, it was, is this a new season? Yeah. It was the yeah, season it was the opener. Of the, of the new season. And they've got Alec Baldwin now playing Donald Trump. He actually did a fantastic job. He really did. He really did. And and then um, and the same woman that always plays Hillary was on there. And Kate they had McKinnon, a, Kate McKinnon, who just won an Emmy for Saturday Night Live. They had a great, they had a great debate, but they they basically filleted they filleted him. It really was pretty close to the actual debate. They, yeah, I don't even feel like they had to change that much. And I'm telling you, Alec really looked like he was Donald Trump. They got the same eyebrows. They 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 worked him up. We have a few quotes from it. Uh, play him, what, just describe the quotes for us. So the first Jeffrey. one I'm going to play is uh, just uh, Alec Baldwin as Trump talking about how he felt he did during the debate. If Hillary knew how she would have done it already, period, end of story. I won the debate. I stayed calm, <laughs> just like I promised, and it is over. Good night, Hofstra. <laughs> that was like he said that in the first minute. Right. That was great. He does sound like him. He does. He sounds like the Don. Yeah. So this next one is uh, Hillary talking about uh, how clever she is and how off the cuff, even though this may have been written well in advance. Why are you a better choice than your opponent to create jobs and put money into the pockets of American workers? Well... Lester, my my opponent's tax plan benefits the top 1% so much. It's not just trickle-down economics. It's, I don't know, I guess if I had to call it something off the top of the old dome with no prep whatsoever, I I don't know, I I guess I'd call it trumped-up trickle-down economics. (laughs) 
Is she just very catchy, Secretary. Pull something you, out. You just came up with that just now. I did. Yeah, and she's reading it off of paper. After, uh, yeah. you know, as she's saying that she came up with it on the spot. See, that's again. It's a little jab toward Hillary. That mm-hmm. Nothing is spontaneous. There is one more where uh, Trump starts blaming his microphone on why things are not going so well. Yeah, my microphone is broken. She broke it with Obama. She and Obama stole my microphone. They took it to Kenya. They took my microphone to Kenya and they broke it and now it's broken. And you hear that? He's picking up somebody sniffing here. I think it's her sniffs. She's been sniffing all night. Testing, testing. Secretary Clinton, what do you think about that? I think I'm going to be president. Ah, so true. You know, um, he, he, they have now shown that his, he did have audio issues. Did you know that? It's official. He really did have audio issues. His so the, audio was not as loud, I guess, in the, in the auditorium as hers was. So the sniffing, that was the, part of the microphone as well? No, the sniffing was really him. He just has post-nasal drip thing. My favorite part is the reference to Willy Wonka where she comes in coughing and hobbling on a cane. She lets go and then yeah, does, does a flip. Somersault. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was crazy. She's – I mean it's it, – I guess that's the neat thing of uh, a little – doing a little parody there is that you, you get to make fun of everything, right? And they did. And I think it, it's – now you watch every week for the next three weeks, four weeks. That's all you're going to see. Alec Baldwin. Because he killed it. He, I mean, it was the Tina Fey, um, <laughs> I can see Russia from my house comment. Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin. So Donald Trump had a hard weekend anyway, hard week last week with the whole Machado thing. And then they actually made fun of that on Saturday Night Live as well. The very last thing Hillary Clinton brings up is the whole Machado, you know, trap that they said that they had set. But um, then they somebody no the New York Times released some tax records showing that um, Donald Trump and Sadie brought it up earlier basically had taken a loss of nine hundred and sixteen million dollars in nineteen ninety five. No! Yeah, which would be enough to wipe out more than fifty million dollars a year of taxable income for eighteen years. So it's pro- it's likely he hasn't paid taxes, federal taxes, for 18 years because of a near trillion-dollar loss. So do you think now that the New York Times has come out with a few of these tax returns, do you think he will just release them all and be done with it? Yeah, sorry. It was a billion-dollar loss. Um, yeah. No. No, it's never <laughs> going to be done. Because now they're going to just keep hammering it. And then he, all of his friends are calling him brilliant for not paying taxes, which kind of ticks off a bunch of taxpayers, right? Um, But the funny thing is, too, a lot of people also, in fact, it seems like everybody loves trying to not get away with paying taxes, right? I mean, legally, everyone would love to not pay them. And some do, but some don't. I mean, what is it? Half the country ends up not paying taxes. One way or another. So does that help the Donald? We'll ask Joe Cannon because I'm not sure – I'm not sure it's helping him. So I don't know why his surrogates keep bringing it up. I also am – now Donald's like maybe I'm going to have to unleash the Kraken and bring up some of the infidelity and of 
uh, Hillary's husband, but more importantly, bring up how Hillary took on all of these women that were involved in these alleged affairs and took them down and had hired a private investigator to chase them. Do you think that's going to carry no, any cloud? I think it's it just digs a deeper, uglier hole for the country. But I don't I'm not sure it's not going to happen. But we'll that's ask. that's what you do when you have nothing to say. Yeah. You just we talk about mud all on somebody this other else. stuff. Wouldn't it be great to just know the policies, their positions? Mm. I wouldn't I mean, wouldn't it be great if, you know, we were just we could be excited about a candidate. But not necessarily happening. So we'll get to Joe. Ask Joe. Pick his brain. He's in the know. And uh, get you started on your week. Cutting through some of the craziness of this election. And uh, hopefully holding your hand through life. Giving you the information you need to make the big decisions that are coming up. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone is our good friend, Joe Cannon. We call him Joe in the know. He is just really well-networked, and uh, he's served time as a past chairman of the Utah Republican Party, also was a candidate for U.S. Senate, served as an uh, assistant administrator to the U.S. EPA under Reagan, and was uh, the editor of the Deseret News newspaper and we we just like to pick his brain when it comes to politics joe cannon thank you so much for being with us hey matt thanks for having me surprise surprise how are you i'm good good did you have a good weekend uh, yeah i had a pretty good weekend yeah, yeah you know, it was a general conference i know for and so it was uh yeah was just a good time hanging out did time. you have yeah. did you have any family over by the way i always wonder because you've got a big family yeah, well, my my mother and one of my daughters was over, and then yesterday we had our the one of our other children, our son and daughter in law, and their four grandchildren and our four grandchildren, mm. and had a nice birthday party. It was a lot of fun. Did you? Uh, I'm sure you spent all weekend just uh, watching Saturday Night Live and Alec uh, Baldwin acting like Donald Trump. Did you get to see that? You know. This is probably a really bad confession to make on the air. I have never actually seen a full episode of Saturday Night Saturday Night Live. <laughs> no, that's I've probably seen, good. I've seen, you, I've seen YouTube videos and stuff like that, but I did not see that. No, that one was crazy because he really looked like the real deal. I mean, he—I've probably—I don't think I've seen anybody impersonate Donald Trump as perfectly as Alec Baldwin. In fact, many would argue nobody. Those two have, you know, very similar sized egos. But um, one of the things I wanted to ask you, Joe, and because a lot of talk came out of the New York Times about Donald's taxes and the fact that he has nine hundred and sixteen million dollar loss back in ninety five, which would say that he wouldn't probably have to pay taxes for about 18 years. Yeah, I mean, I don't you know, I have seen a lot of the buzz about that. And, you know, it's clearly. I think I think I think even he was anticipating that something was going to come out. Yeah, uh, whether it was that particular thing or not, you know, I, I don't know because they had a lot of ready answers uh, to it. But yeah, he uh, he may he you know it's just called tax avoidance or tax 
guess he would call it he called it super tax planning. Yeah. Well, in fact, let's let's uh, let's listen to some quotes. Here's here's Trump's lawyer threatening the New York Times over the published tax return. I forgot about that part, right? Yeah. We're hearing from Trump's lawyer this morning. He's actually threatening legal action against you guys in the New York Times. What are your lawyers saying about that? Well, last time I checked, it wasn't a crime to check your mailbox. So they're saying uh, it's ridiculous. So it would be a crime for someone inside one of the tax departments, one of the state tax forms to leak the documents. But it's not a crime to publish them. That's what our lawyers are saying. That's what our lawyers are telling so I guess they just checked their their mailbox, and inside the mailbox were Trump's tax returns. Well, that's the, that's the story. I mean, I think that's the story, and I think they're sticking to it. And, yeah. and then they're saying they didn't break the law. They just they the, the, whoever sent them to them is the one that broke the law. Is I mean, is this the argument that they want to be taking? I mean, Donald's doing everything he can to not show his taxes. Um, but the, I guess no matter what this story does, is it keeps Donald's taxes in the news. Right. No, yeah, no matter what the response is. And I guess the question is, as it always is, when Donald does something or something is said about Donald, it's how much does it help or hurt him? I mean, uh, it seems like his, his supporters are rock solid, and it doesn't seem to, to do much. Now, I will say... In the net, although there haven't been that many polls, but in the net, I think the uh, Secretary Clinton has gone up a little after the debates. Yeah. It'll be really interesting. I, I think kind of overshadowing this, and maybe that's why, who knows what, what logic is going on here, but but talking about a Latin American Miss Universe contestant and turning, turning like a day's worth of news cycle into a discussion about that is just—it's like maybe he doesn't want to be president. And no, you know what? It, well, it makes you wonder: or is he just that loose of a cannon? Well, not to, it, not it, no pun intended, Joe. He's not. I was going to say we we, we, we <laughs> don't really like that expression. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Cannon, uh, you wouldn't, right? Uh, often having been a loose cannon myself. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, he he. I guess what he and all of his handlers says he he is what he is, but. He does seem to have been on uh, a more productive track in the last several weeks. Oh yeah, generally, just generally speaking. And then all of a sudden, we're kind of getting defensive and writing things in the middle of the night. And it's, mm. Wow, it's like what's going on? Here's here's Giuliani. I mean, he in a way is is going off as well. Uh, he's talking about Trump being a genius for not paying taxes. The reality is, this is part of our tax code. The man's a genius. He knows how to operate the tax code for the benefit of the people he's serving. Well, that's interesting because, Mr. Mayor, you, you say that he's a genius. Donald Trump said during the debate that not paying federal income taxes makes him smart. Does that mean that the rest of us who don't look for every possible loophole and provision to avoid paying our fair share of taxes, does that mean the rest of us are stupid? No, absolutely not. Mm. Here we go. I mean, but it is it, it. Everybody would try to pay as little income tax as they could, right? Right. And interesting that I'm surprised Giuliani didn't say there's kind of a famous Supreme Court decision that says just that that you're not obligated to pay any more taxes than you're actually obligated to pay. Right. But so, I guess, uh, but I guess that's not the argument you want to be making. Is that no, it's no, about it, intelligence. It, yeah. 
If it, yeah, yeah. I don't think you need to question the intelligence of Man. All, all American taxpayers. Jeez. Is it? I mean, it seems like in a way you're, you're starting to see, you know, even the media um, pushing even harder and harder on Donald. Is is it favoritism? Is it are they or are they just really trying to hold him down on something? And there's just so much more content there for Donald, because over and over, every story in the news is about Donald, even though there are certain things they could be talking about with Hillary. Well, I don't think there's any question about it. Lots and lots of polls and surveys and analysis have been done that most of the media reporters, television, radio, and, uh, and newspaper reporters are Democrats. I mean, a, a favorite uh, trope, a favorite statement of uh, a lot of Republicans is that uh, journalists are just Democrats with Democrat operatives with bylines. Now, so that generally is true. That's true in every election. So it's true that they seem to be harder on the Republicans than the Democrats. Having said that, uh, Donald Trump makes it pretty easy <laughs> for them to do that. that. That's, I guess, what, you know, he, he does have a enormously more control over the news cycle than any Republican has in, in modern times. Mm. Which, which got uh, him where he is, right? I mean, that's why he had so much free press. It, I mean, it definitely helped him in the primaries. But he does give his adversaries plenty of opportunities to talk. I mean, he could dominate the news cycle by saying things himself instead, right. of, instead of spending a lot of time defending himself on his taxes. I mean, you could pick up a one-liner. Okay, you know, uh, my taxes or whatever they are, I mean, you can think of some one-liner and then just move on to some other subject. Uh, and same with uh, this... Uh, this uh, uh, this American contestant, just like yeah, yeah. What are you doing? Do you think he's um, because uh, I, mean, I guess it's tomorrow. Kane and Pence are going to gear up to do the vice presidential debates, and after the break, we can talk a lot about that. But uh, did you do you really think Donald's lack of preparation? I mean, it it seemed to really take its toll. Well, um, a lot of Trump supporters say that he was prepared to do what he needed to do. I don't think that that was – that definitely wasn't obvious to me and to most people I know who watch the debates, A, and that B, the polling showed that most observers didn't think that he showed up prepared. And pre- prepared for him was a pretty low bar. I think I said last <laughs> week, you know, she had a fairly high bar – that she leaped over it. He had a fairly low bar, and he tripped over it. Yeah. Uh, it it um, he just needed to show up with five or six things to say. He, you know, you know a lot of the things that she's going to say, and a lot of the issues that have come up. She's have a few one-liners that you can respond. And apparently, he didn't feel like that was very important. He did hammer and hammer and hammer. This is what some. Uh, Trump supporters point to that he hammered and hammered and hammered on her uh, long tenure in public life and and his view that there were few results out of that. And he kept coming back and back to that. And, and that probably is a talking point that that um, Kellyanne Conway and others around him are saying that that's, that's an effective point with her. Yeah. So he did, he did do that, but, but there were so many other 
other opportunities that that uh, for him a to make his case and b to undermine her case, and they just went empty. It yeah, went uh, uh, without being. Uh, you know, taken advantage of. Well, let's come back. We'll talk about it. Let's also talk about um, some of the the uh, the talk about is he going to go after Bill Clinton? I mean, I see more and more talk about even in the New York Times about how Hillary Clinton handled some of the the uh, purported and alleged you know infidelity of her husband. How she how she may have hired a, a private investigator. All of that is any of that going to matter? Is it a smart play or not? to bring any of that into this. Uh, To me, it seems like just a mess if it happens. But uh, we want to talk to Joe in the know, Joe Cannon, more when uh, we come back with him and uh, just continue the learning, see if we can make it through this election without going crazy. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the line with us is Joe Cannon. Joe is the president or CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which is an organization trying to lower your fuel costs. And he's just a great friend of the show. We call him Joe in the know because he he just is really well connected. He's had a lot of history and experience in Republican Party at all levels. And so, Joe, welcome back to the show. Thank you again for this uh this fun little surprise call to you. <laughs> Happy to be here. Good to have Happy you. To be here. You didn't, by chance, happen to read the Wall Street Journal's article um, by Dorothy Rabinowitz, did you? Do you know Dorothy? You know, well, I know who she is, of course. I actually don't know her, but I'm a very big fan of her. Yeah. I didn't see her latest, no. So she is Dorothy Rabinowitz, is a member of the Wall Street Journal's uh, conservative editorial board. She wrote an op ed column endorsing the Democrat nominee, Hillary Clinton, for president, which is, I guess, unheard of. But it's more important what she said. Listen to this. Clinton is experienced, forward-looking, indomitably determined, and eminently sane. Her election alone is what stands between the American nation and the reign of the most unstable, proudly uninformed, psychologically unfit president ever to enter the White House. Well, um, so a lot of people believe that. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's the fact. Uh, and she's she's one of the she's she is like I guess up there with Bill Kristol, some of these conservatives that have been fighting for conservative ideas forever, and she's now basically saying he can't do it. Well, she's she's hashtag never Trump. That's that's been clear for a long time. Yeah. Uh, it's still a little bit surprising to me that she would uh, endorse Hillary, given how she is on how she Dorothy Rabinowitz is on so many other issues. Right. But, you know, a lot of people are 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 uh, saying, "Look, we just can't get there with Donald," and so. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. I didn't read that. No, that's for the show. But uh, that just I just barely saw that, and I thought. Yeah, Joe. Joe. I mean that. That's a pretty. It's a pretty big endorsement. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. It is. I mean, oh, she's like you say. The she's one of the mainstays of the of the editorial page, and yeah, she's 
a very, very smart uh, person. And that's what we're running into, I guess, with the Never Trumps, um, because some of them are just trying to stay out of it. Like, I don't want to talk about it. But then some, like uh, like Dorothy here, is she's actually flat out saying, no, we're not, I'm not, you can't vote for this guy, a vote. But because this is what I'm running into, Joe, and I need your help. So when a neighbor comes up to me and says, well, yeah, but a vote for any third party is a vote for Hillary Clinton. I mean, is is it better that you just go vote against if, if you're if you can't stomach Donald? Do you do you really just vote for Hillary? What do, what's your take on this? Or do you worry about third party anymore? Do you really just have to say I can't vote for Donald, and instead of not going to the polls, I'm going to just go this way? Right. Well, a lot of it, a lot depends on the state that you live in. If you live in California or Maryland or New York or a lot of, uh, uh, or if you live in Utah or Idaho or uh, really red states, uh, it's not too big of a psychological crisis because those states are going to go the way they've gone. Yeah, they basically. But there, there is a case. I'm not saying where I'm going out on all this, but I would say. I can see the case for someone saying, look, Donald is so horrific to me that I have to vote for Hillary uh, because there's a chance he might get elected. Now, if you're a Republican, though, you might say, man, I, I don't know if I like Donald at all. In fact, I don't like if people would say, but we're, we're kind of this is a team sport and you're electing a team and Donald's team has a better chance of implementing things that I think are important. Hang on just a second. Sorry, I had a cough there. Donald's team has a better chance of appointing uh, the right kind of judges, for example, or doing the right kind of things on tax policy, for example. So, uh, yeah, there, uh, some some people just say, look, I, I may not be liking it very much, but my agenda has a better chance of getting it acted if he's president than if Hillary mm. is president. Yeah. And, and um, I mean, you look at some of the polls that are uh, – they've been, I guess, a little affected by um, his debate experience. Uh, Clinton is still up now two points in Florida, which is, I think, pretty normal where they've been. Ohio, though, Trump is up by two. Pennsylvania, Clinton's only up by one point eight. So in some of those bigger ones, uh, they're still they're still vying for it. Trump is up a little bit in North Carolina, in Colorado, he's up a bit. Um, so I guess I mean the the race is still on, and thirty plus days more. Do you think Donald now is threatening if she's going to play this hardball stuff? And keep throwing these all these things out there. He's going to have to go bring up her husband's infidelities. Would that just be crazy to do? He just seems obsessed by that. Yeah. And and it, for the life of me, now you know we've said endlessly on this show. I and almost all pundits have been wrong all the time about this. So maybe he knows something, but it does seem a little bit more like an obsession than a carefully thought out tactic <laughs> right like who who which voters are going to come to my side i got to get 50 or really really close to 50 and and there's a set of voters who i haven't persuaded yet and including by the way a lot of republicans so the last 
poll I saw that showed that he only has about 70% support in the Republican Party. Hmm. Okay, so someone, he's got to say, what do I do to get those people to show up to the poll and not pull a Dorothy Rabinowitz? Right. What, what do I have to do? And I don't think that thing is talking about Bill Clinton's infidelity. I, I just don't, don't see that, but... He's even got the New York Times responding. They did a, a really in-depth review of uh, how Hillary Clinton grappled with Bill Clinton's infidelity and his accusers. And they went in-depth kind of covering, you know, every, uh, you know, every uh, person she hired, what part of the – how she participated and what she ever said about these past women. And it just seems like it debases – the position, and it might turn, yeah, like you're saying, it might turn the Republican base away. Well, at least it won't get them motivated to come out, which is what he needs. I yeah. The, ta- the tactics he needs to be about right now are getting his base, his team, to show up. If he did that, he might be successful. But, you know, you look at uh, all of those polls of the so-called battleground states, virtually all of them are within the margin of error. So a lot could happen in the last, you know, toward toward this last month. Uh, I do think, weirdly, I think, um, I don't know who would be interested in watching a vice presidential debate. I love so it because th- these are the two I want to be in there. I mean, if somebody has to win, I want one of the two vice presidents to win. Yeah, well, I, I, I think that there's going to be renewed interest in looking at this VP debate. I'm certainly going to watch it with interest. Yeah. Man, don't you think Mike Pence has got to have one of the hardest jobs in D.C.? Because he just has to keep cleaning up and cleaning up. And, you know, he's pretty loyal at it. To yeah. It. yeah. I mean, he's pretty loyal doing it. Um, it's yeah. so true. Did you see the news that came out uh, about a leak from Hillary Clinton? It's an audio leak where she was talking about Bernie Sanders followers uh, as being all of these kids that, you know, you have millions of young people who aren't working, yeah. living in their parents' basements. Yeah, it apparently came from her own campaign team. Yeah. Uh, emailing back and forth to each other, yeah. D- yeah d- should think- that not be impacting? It seems like, you know, if, I mean, it, it, she basically was calling them like deadbeats. Well, Trump jumped on it right off. So, yeah. I mean, there's no question that, that people on his team and people around him and maybe himself thought, yeah, this is something... Because, uh, again, Hillary has the same problem that Donald has. They, they both need their basic hardcore base to show up. And if the Bernie Sanders people, the millennials, don't, don't show up in as great in numbers, that's bad for her. So, right. so that's, that's one thing that has happened, kind of tilting things a little bit. I, I still don't see any polling evidence. I mean, the polling no. is all close. If people talk about one, two, three, four points in these polls, you got to understand, I mean, that's way within the margin of error. When you take the totality of the polls, it does seem like she's still ahead. Yeah. And, I mean, when you talk to the, the Nate Silvers and you look at his work, and she's still up 60 to 70 percent, you know, percentage chance of right, winning. yeah. He's still got her at two-thirds uh, to him at one-third, roughly. But still, there is that fear of, uh, you know, kind of the electoral college and somebody winning the the general election, but not the electoral, the general uh, vote. A, yeah, that's a fear, but it you know just pretty rarely 
Yeah. It pretty rarely happens. And I think in this case, who knows how this is going to actually come <laughs> out. But but it, it is the case that uh, there is still the war of polls going on. And you, you do have this one very steady, thoughtful poll done by the L.A. Times that they're yeah. very defensive about. They say, look, our methodology was put together by the Rand Corporation, and we've been right when everybody else has been wrong. And mm. that does show a pretty steady Trump support. 5% and, up, and I the, think. Yeah, and the variable they say there that is relevant is somehow they've developed an algorithm or an analytical tool that shows the... Uh, enthusiasm of his voters over the enthusiasm of her voters. Hmm. That's huge. But I guess, too, that's why, in a way, he just needs to be quiet, or he's going to create more and more enthusiasm. Do you, do you believe in the October surprise? Do you believe, um, it seems like Julian Assange, he wanted to release something that everyone's talking about. Um, do you do you sense there's more to come in this last month? There, there's going to be more to come on both sides. I mean, his taxes yeah. are an example of that, and I think there are probably some emails out there that WikiLeaks has. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, I'm sure that that it, it, this is a big high stakes game, and everybody's playing to the hill right now. How do you think the How do you think everyone will heal after this? Well, I don't know. It just depends on so many variables. I mean, if she wins and there's a uh, and this, the Republicans manage to keep the Senate, that's one scenario. If she wins and they and the Democrats take control of the Senate, that's a different scenario. Mm. But it's been very polarized. We don't have time for the rest of the show, but uh, uh, there's a really good book. Uh, it's called the, Our Fractured Nation. Hmm by Yuval Levin, and he actually talks about this time in the 50s, 60s, and maybe 70s where there wasn't such polarization was an anomaly in U.S. history. So, you know, maybe we're reverting to, to the norm. I, I, I don't know, but there's, it's pretty polarized. No, it is. Yeah, and we have a lot of guests on, too, that talk about why and, and ways we can change it and um, but I guess in the end, it's um, it's just sad. It's a sad commentary on where we are as a people, I think. Struggling, yeah. frustrated, exhausted, polarized. What would you – are there other, anything else, Joe, that we need to be keeping our eye on? Is there something we should be looking at with this vice presidential debate tomorrow um, or anything else that we really need to keep our eye on? Well, I would just say one note, which is uh, kind of along the lines of the Brexit vote, and that is uh, the Colombian people had a referendum on whether to accept the peace agreement between the government and FARC, which has been, you know, 40-plus year, 50-year war between guerrillas and the government, Hmm. and they worked for years to get a peace agreement, and then the people rejected it. They didn't think it was tough enough on the uh, on FARC. So oh, really? That's, that, that's a, I'm sure that doesn't capture many people's minds, but, but that's an important development in Latin America. Uh, Colombia is one of the strongest, uh, freest countries and most economically uh, uh, sophisticated countries. And, of course, we are now heading into 
playoffs, baseball playoffs. Ah. So that's, that is actually something. The Dodgers won in the National League West Division, and they're, they're going to be playing. And <laughs> It's Vince Scully's last year after college uh. games for 67 years, the, the entirety of my life. Vince Scully has called his last game now, which is very sad for, for all of us. Oh, and, wow, yeah. Um, this is a follow, great time follow. of year, though, don't you think, fall? It is a great time. Great football, college football. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good sports. Well, Joe, we appreciate you. And, in fact, the sports seem to be more interesting, even <laughs> well, more positively in- interesting than uh, than even the elections. So thank you, Joe. Have a great one. Keep up the great work in all that you do. Again, Joe is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. You can go check that out, fuelfreedom.org. Find out how he's lowering the cost of fuel in the United States. It's a good thing for all of us. We'll take a break. Be right back, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, two quick quotes for you. Number one uh, from Franklin D. Roosevelt. Nobody will ever deprive the American people of the right to vote except the American people themselves. And the only way they could do this is by not voting. John Quincy Adams has this quote, another one to think about. Always vote for principle, though you may vote alone and you may cherish the sweetest reflection that your vote is never lost. So you may not like the candidates, folks, but uh, you better like your vote. We'll take a break. We'll be back more next hour on The Matt Townsend Show. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Your coach, your guide on the side, top of the morning to you. So good uh, to be with you. Hour number two of the program, and uh, man, have we got a great one for you. Today, by the way, World Day of Bullying Prevention. So what Today is the like day we are going to be able to take care of all of the bullies in the world and uh, make sure that we stop that, which is interesting because... Many would say in the media and the press, that's all we hear about, the political bullying going on, right? Um, But it seems to be impacting us at many, many different levels as well. So, you know, we'll get to some of that today. It's also Virus Appreciation Day. You can never appreciate your viruses quite enough, can you? Um, By the way, also got a great uh, topic today. Are the schools and the colleges, universities that we're going to, are they preparing us the way they need to to get jobs? Is there a better way for universities to make sure that their students are going to leave with a real job, with a real education? Because if not, holy cow, it's going to create some problems. Um, and so we will be talking about some different ideas, different plans and opportunities um, that are being tested to make sure that we are truly creating uh, a quality education and a quality experience for those that are um, that are going through college. What could be worse than spending all this money on a degree, all this money on an education, and then you can't even get a job? 
Well, we'll be talking to some of the late researchers and, and great researchers that are trying to figure that out for all of us. Anyway, we've got uh, that coming up, plus um, a crazy story about a police officer. We'll be getting to that as well, uh, about a police officer who some woman just comes up and starts eating his fries. What do you do when some lady just starts eating your fries? Well, I personally just think taser, but no. He instead just arrested her. So we'll get to that. We'll do a little interview with him as well. Tons going on. But first, let's get uh, to the headlines with our very own Sadie Nielsen and find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Sadie? Stephanie DeSimone was two months pregnant when her husband, Navy Commander Patrick Dunn, was killed at the Pentagon on September 11, 2001. Now, 15 years later and two days after Congress legally paved the way, she's filed a lawsuit against Saudi Arabia, claiming the kingdom is partially responsible for his death. The lawsuit comes just days after Congress voted to override President Barack Obama's veto of the Justice Against Sponsors uh, Sponsors of Terrorism Act, which allows Americans to sue a foreign state for acts of terrorism. Hurricane Matthew became a major hurricane Friday and threatened Jamaica, Cuba, Haiti, and the Bahamas as it begins to slow romp across the Caribbean. By Friday night, the storm took on a Category 5 rating, the strongest in the Atlantic since Felix in 2007, the National Weather Service said. The storm was a Category 1 storm on Thursday. Early Friday, it was recategorized as a Category 3 storm before strengthening into a Category 4 and then 5. A Colombian peace deal that the president and the country's largest rebel group have signed just days earlier appeared handed, headed to defeat in a referendum on Sunday, leaving the fate of a 52-year war suddenly uncertain. Though the government had not officially called the result, the no vote was ahead by half a percentage point with 99% of the ballots counted, the government said Sunday. It has left the future of rebels who have planned to rejoin Colombia as civilians. Indeed, the future of war itself, which both sides have declared ended, unknown to all. And finally, a Chinese tourist location has opened semi-transparent glass bathrooms for guests not overly concerned with their privacy. What? Photos shared by CCTV News shows the restroom facilities featuring slightly fogged glass doors which opened to the public at a lake resort in Changsha City on Thursday. This all-natural toilet will surely create a challenge to those who claim they aren't shy, CCTV News wrote. The see-through bathrooms provide a view of surrounding scenic wooded area and containing several rows of stalls and multiple urinals. So the real question is, Matt... Yes. Are you brave enough and not shy enough to go into these bathrooms? You know what? I'd probably – it just depends how bad you've got to go, right? But if – the thing is I feel bad about everyone else. Why? Because there's some people that just – they're going to look. Oh, yeah. So why – So it's it's a test to see if you are shy or not. Yeah. Or if you're messed up enough to look. Or if you're messed up or not. (laughs) Holy cow. (laughs) Jeff just flushed. Jeff just flushed. Um, you know, there's so much that we can talk about. Thank you, Sadie. Ah, oh, the restrooms. Uh, come on. For the rest of us, just put up wallpaper. We don't need to look in on that. Seriously. We don't need to look in on that. Hey, uh, crazy story, by the way, about a... Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it reaches the level of a pandemic, Jeff, but we keep hearing story after story of people breaking into prison. That's insane. 
Like, why would anybody want to break into prison? I don't know. We had we've had two or three in the last few weeks. Um, authorities say now a 23 year old man was looking for uh, protection, and he ran into the Ohio jail and became trapped in the facility. Authorities say Chad Saylor breached the Butler County Resolutions uh, facility in Hamilton Saturday by climbing a pipe and becoming trapped in the rear of the facility. Police say they then called 911. Uh, He then called 911 saying people were after him with weapons and trying to kill him, and he needed to get to safety. The breach came days after an inmate walked away from the Butler County Jail and was found days later. Sailor had active warrants and was taken into custody. He was afraid people were going to harm him, so he's like, I got to get into jail. Wow. I mean, it seems like you're not safer in jail. Wait, so this guy was afraid? So he outside, somebody, they had weapons and they were going to hurt him, so he's like, I got to get in there, and he's breaking into jail. This sounds really familiar. Yeah, like yeah, like I saw it in a, a movie trailer or something. Well, hold, on. give me a minute. Yeah. Give me a minute. Hold on. Okay, yeah, here it is. You here found is. a movie. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, uh, I think it's just a tag, so it's not the entire trailer. It's just the tag for the end of the trailer. Hold on a second. There it is. Scared straight to jail. The sequel to Five to Ten. The sequel to Break It. The guy who broke into prison this spring. Fear is spelled J-A-I-L. Wow. So that was a sequel to a sequel to a sequel. People yeah. keep trying to break in. Yeah. So it was – so this one is Scared Straight to Jail, the sequel to 5 to 10, the sequel to Break In, the guy who broke into prison. Wow. And this spring, Fear is spelled J-A-I-L. Yeah, I don't get that. Because it's still to me, J. Fear is still F E A R. Yeah. I am the smart. S M R T. I mean, S M A R T. But that guy was. Because you've heard of those programs, Scared Straight, where they try to get you, instead of going to jail, they try to scare you straight. Go straight so you don't go to jail. But this one was is Scared Straight to Jail. Sounds like one of those Ernest movies. Yeah. Ernest Scared Stupid. Mm-hmm. Ernest goes to camp. Yeah. It's scary. That's what it is. Simply scary. Hey, uh, I don't know if it's a pandemic, but there's it's happening all the time now. People just trying to get into prison. A boy, listen to this crazy story. A two-year-old boy takes a late-night joyride in a toy car. You know? What are you kidding? Yeah. A joy and a joyride ended safely for a two year old South Carolina boy who was found driving down the street in the middle of the night in a battery powered toy car. According to Sumter County Sheriff spokesman Ken Bell says the boy was wearing a diaper and gray jogging pants when he was found early Sunday by a woman who took him to the nearby house to call authorities. Bell said deputies followed the tracks of the toy car back to the toddler's house. He said the boy's parents were surprised when the deputies showed up at their door, you know, and asked about their son. We're fortunate, they said. This thing didn't end badly. He could have been struck by a vehicle. He could have been picked up by another person. (sighs) We're fortunate. A good Samaritan like this lady took him home. Another good reason why you just, you know, 
got to lock your doors. That's pretty bad. Poor guy. Now the parents are investigating his parents. Social services is now involved. The parents may be charged. So you've got a guy breaking into prison, and you've got a two-year-old breaking out yeah. of his house. And and it, it, I guess that's a low-speed chase if it's... Yeah, those things only go about a mile and a half per hour. <laughs> Cops are trying to pull him over. He's swerving. You just know those parents are cursing themselves yeah. for charging that thing. Yeah. Oh, why did we charge it? That is just sad. And uh, I heard he had an open bottle. So he had this... a bit of a drinking problem. Yep. <laughs> yep. They said his head was bigger than his body, too. Pound for pound. Was he wearing a seatbelt at least? Don't think so. Wow. They did not find any tats, though. Hmm. Lucky. See? Another blessing from heaven. Who says there's not good things happening in the world? Right there. <sighs> what do you do? Poor little fella. Hey, um, how about this one? A uh, jail... For the driver who called 999 to ask police pursuit team to stop following him. 999, like 911, but in England. So a dangerous driver in the UK dialed 999 asking police to call off the pursuit of him as officers chased him during rush hour. Bruce Dewey's his name, 36. He dodged spike strips, deployed to burst his tires. He weaved in and out of traffic, crossed onto the wrong side of the road. During the pursuit, police started following him and spotting him uh, driving a blue Honda. As he sped away, he managed to lose police for a short time before officers finally caught up with him. And then he called him. He made the call. And he's like, hey, fellas, let's say we just stop this chase thing. That would be great. If you guys could just, if I could go ahead and get you to back off just a little bit, that would be fantastic. (laughs) What's it going to take? What's it going to take to have you guys just give me a, just back off? Just wanted to let you know, you guys are getting a little close. <laughs> the uh, The distance between our cars is, is shrinking. Um, <laughs> you just, you can't call and try to talk them out of it. Did you get my previous phone call about yeah. backing off? I don't, don't want to nag you guys, but it seems like you're taking this whole chase thing real seriously. Could you just give me a little space? <laughs> it's not happening. I mean, the lesson that needs to be learned, Mr. Dewey, you make the crime, dude, you do the time. It's that simple. wonder what his phone call from prison would sound like. Yeah, I've been here about uh, two months now. It's kind of a long time. Yeah. If I could go ahead and get you guys to let me out, that would be great. This isn't exactly what I thought I was signing up for. I, I don't. I don't recall requesting rooming up with Bubba, and uh, <laughs> he's kind of picking on me. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to sound ungrateful, but. Hmm. Don't get me wrong. I'm getting three squares a day. <laughs> you just can't talk your way out of certain things. You behaved your way into. That's Gandhi. But once you do gruel for the fifth day in a row, it's, uh, it's you know, a little variety would be nice. I was told that there was a pool in this facility. 
Nah, I haven't seen a pool. So I'm going to need to leave. Could you work that out? Anyway, poor guy. Poor Bruce Dewey, 36. He's busted. He'll now serve jail for 15 months. Can't talk his way out of that. Dewey's uh, actions, though, did, you know, have the cops laughing. Like, okay. Sorry, Mr. Dewey. (laughs) Take that. Oh, boy. It's a wonder that any of us are surviving. From kids stealing the car as, as young as two, to adults trying to talk the cops out of it. What's going on with this world? It's crazy. That's why we want to hold your hand, help you through it. Give you the leg up you need. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about getting the most of your educational experience. What actually helps to uh, get a degree that will pay? Stick with us. We got a great guest talking about it up next, right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, thanks to technological advancements, students can now access educational courses online. And the recent, uh, but you may have heard, they're not necessarily getting the same quality of education. And with certain of these online programs closing, like ITT Tech closing, you may have heard of that. Some people are worried about the legitimacy of some of these online courses. So here to discuss with us uh, is the executive director of, a, of an organization called Quality Matters. Her name is Deb Adair, and she spent more than 25 years in higher ed, in uh, faculty and administration, as well as nonprofit leadership. And today she's here to talk to us about uh, the, the making sure we're getting the right education that's that's credentialed so that we really can go get paid for the work we're doing. Deb Adair, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Matt, and thanks for having me on the program. Great to have you. And talk to us about um, what what you're seeing in, in these different programs. There's so many ways and places people can go to get uh, you know, technical skills, to get other types of education, become a coder, and, um, and yet not all of them seem to have this or pull the same credentials and credibility as, as we need. What are you seeing out there? Well, I think these are um, uh, good questions, Matt, and I think uh, uh, you might be surprised to find that um, sort of the, the traditional mainstream universities and community colleges and, you know, state colleges, Research uh, R1 institutions, all of them um, are, or many of them are actually uh, heavily involved in online education. So it isn't the, um, when you think of online, you tend to think of the, you know, for profit institutions. Uh, but for example, um, we are, as a nonprofit, we work with, uh, gosh, we have over 1,050 uh, institutional members uh, uh, that participate with us and, um, about 990 of them are in higher education, and these are institutions. Hmm. And most of them are not are are not for-profit institutions, but they represent you know the the two-year, four-year mainstream institutions. So there's a lot of activity uh, in online education, and there's a lot of new activity along the lines of what you were just talking about the you know uh, coding academies and so on. But um, some of the alternative learning is non-credit, 
and then sort of the the mainstream. If we if you could allow me to say traditional online education, yeah, um, you know that's poor credit and has been happening for for years and years, and much of it is being done well. Hmm. Is it because the the reality is this is the future, right? So online is where I think a lot of people are going to want to be turning, um, especially for the next fifty to a hundred years. It seems like uh, that there's as long as it's credentialed and as long as we know what we're getting and and that it's the highest quality that we can get. It, it seems like the answer. Well, yeah, I think I think what it's. It's less about the the tools or the format you use, and and more about um, really crafting whatever that the, the educational um, environment is uh, in a way that's consistent with the research on on student learning. And so we're learning how to do that in uh, much more robust ways in an online environment than we had in the past. Um, and I think. Um, you know, to your point about the growth here, the reality is the what used to be the non-traditional learner, um, which was, is you know anybody that's you know 25 years old or older, is actually the mainstream. Is the bulk of of, of uh, individuals seeking education today, and what's critical for them is the the you know having access and having the convenience that the you know the asynchronous online format provides. So there's huge demand. And you're, you're right that we have to actually be meeting that demand in, in thoughtful ways, in ways that are, um, you know, where there's quality assurance and uh, uh, the execution of, of best practice and research. And so that's what our role is, is try to help disseminate that as we're, we're building and growing online programs in higher education. And you're, I guess, a big part in the U.S. Um, uh, an article in U.S. and World, we, we read that you are now part of a college pilot program, um, I guess, making sure that in some of the pilot testing that they're, that they're able to create these flexible online learning opportunities, but also to make sure that, uh, that, that they're they're safe, they're secure, and that, like you say, they meet all the learning objectives. Is that is that what quality matters? Is is that the mission of your organization? Is to to make sure those standards are there? Well, it's it's one of the ways we execute our mission. So our our mission is really to improve the quality of online education and student learning, and to do that with the the curation of research and evidence based practice. Uh, and a setting of standards based on that. So, um, and then we have professional development for educators, and do and we do recognize and certify quality. So we do have uh, we do review courses and programs according to standards, and we'll issue a certification for those courses and programs that meet those standards. Hmm. Is it? How would I know which? which programs I can trust the most? Is is there a way as just a consumer, as a student getting ready to go to these organizations that I can make sure that they're up to quality? Well, um, sure. And I think the, uh, the very first thing is to make sure that the, the program and the institution is accredited. And that's, that's not through us, but it's through uh, re- regional and national accreditors. And so that there's, that's, a, that's a broad review, right, to ensure that not just the uh, teaching and learning experience, but the whole operation of the, 
of the institution is is credible. Um, and uh, and frankly, if uh, right now, if you're pursuing a degree or, or taking courses from an institution that's not accredited, you're not going to be afforded federal financial aid. Mm. So that would be number one. And number two is, uh, you know, if you're looking at uh, for a differentiator, you can, uh, you know, you can look for the quality matter certification mark and in, in, at the course level. Um, and then uh, we're beginning to do that at the program level, level as well. And what that tells you is that there have been um, a uh, unbiased team of three reviewers who've been trained to do this work, who are actually, you know, educators in the field, um, who are applying our standards in a particular way, um, and then determining which courses and programs have met our standards. And if they have. Uh, they are issued a, a certification mark from us. Hmm. I mean, that's sort of like the yeah. water, uh, you know, UL mark or something like that. Yeah, right. Yeah, so you, yeah, they've gone through the laboratory, they've been evaluated, they meet the highest quality standards, and I mean, I guess that's the key because I know so many people that um, that some type of you know technical skill or professional kind of development. Um, it's required. It's necessary, and then. It, but it seemed like a lot of the for-profit organizations. This just kind of turned into a big money-making opportunity for many of them. But the quality wasn't always where it needed to be. So to have a standard like QM, I guess, um, it's, it's, it seems like it's awesome. It's about time. Sure, and I would be remiss if I didn't say uh, not all for-profit institutions uh, are. are are alike, right. and uh, we actually, um, from our earliest days, there's been a, there have been a few that have worked with us and have put their courses and programs through the same, this this you know the same rigorous standards as the nonprofit institutions. Um, but I think that they're always bad players, right? And, right. and it's important to be uh, vigilant about that. I guess that's one of the keys you're saying is that. Um, to some degree, if they're if they're receiving student uh, funding or um, student loans from the government, uh, then it is it's it's seen as at least a more credible uh, organization. Well, you know you know that a, a certain set of standards have been applied and have looked more broadly, and they you know that they also look at marketing practices and business practices, and and actually where some of the uh, for profits have gotten in trouble. Is more on that side of it, right? And then um, we're very concerned in higher ed now about student outcomes, you know, whether they're graduating, whether they're getting their degrees, whether they're finding employment, and um, you know, so so all of higher ed and particularly the for-profit sector are being scrutinized for that now. Hmm. And but yours and yours even takes it to a different level because yours is more of a quality matters is more of kind of a faculty centered peer reviewed process, right? So maybe walk us through your process. How do you go into let's say I have a a training uh program or a, a development or a uh, skill building program. I'm at a university, but I want the QM standard how do you come in? What do you do to make sure that uh, I'm at the I'm at the right level? Okay, so uh, and, and Quality Matters can do we can do this as ourselves, or uh, there are, uh, we can work with an organization to help them set up the process hmm. to do that themselves. But so the uh, the review process uh, involves three trained and certified uh, 
individual educators, uh, and these are all um, in the field. And so there aren't there aren't any QM employees that do this. These are these are faculty. These are educators who have gone through the the rigorous training from us to get certified. Uh, one of them has to be a subject matter expert at a minimum. Um, at least one, and usually more, have to be external to the institution whose course is being reviewed. Uh, and there's a senior, there's a chair of that review team who is a, a, a senior reviewer, master reviewer with uh, more experience and training. And they are charged to take the student perspective. So they go into the course as if they were a student, but what they're doing is they're applying our 43 uh, standards to the course as they as they uh, review it and look through it, and um, they each give detailed feedback. I think the the um, the magical piece of this is each of those faculty members is give, are giving very detailed feedback about uh, um, you know ways to improve the course mm. and you know what were the strengths of the course, and that's all provided back to the developer of that course, the faculty member or the institution. Um, uh, to go to continue to improve that course, whether or not it met standards. Wow, what a great idea! So, so really, you could get it's almost like the TQM total quality movement yeah. of businesses, right? Where we you would you'd go train and certify people on your teams to be the quality assurance person, and once they're certified, and we, then our goal would be to just reach those high levels of total quality. That's right, and that's why it's scalable for institutions that they get their faculty trained, and uh, then they can begin to embed this in their all throughout their operations. And I guess this can this can take place in K through twelve higher ed, just you know technical trainings. It can be even in just continuing in professional ed. It could be in any field. Absolutely, and those are all the the places that we're that um, you know we're working in. And uh, you know, K twelve is in a different place regarding online learning than higher ed, but uh, it's growing there as well. So it is a it's a replicable process. And right? it's not just it's not because because some would say, well, yeah, but uh, learning is very subjective, and it, and it's not just objective; it's also subjective. And it I guess this process allows the subjective side of teaching, right? I mean, the reaching of the child's emotions and the management of the students. I mean, I guess it can reach all the complexities of learning. All right. Well, you know, you don't want, what you don't want is cookie cutter courses because right. you're applying a set of standards, right? So it has to be, there's there's an art here too. So there are many ways uh, a course can meet these these standards. And remember, the standards are really an attempt to take from the research literature and you know evidence practice what we mm-hmm. know works and make it applicable. So what what we're trying to do is to uh, you know we know some things about uh, how students learn and trying to change how we structure our our education and courses to embed that and make sure that happens. That's really what we're trying to do. And yeah. I think we are we're seeing evidence, right, that we are moving that needle because courses have improved over the last 10 years. Absolutely. And I love just the fact that we're talking about it. We're speaking with Deb Adair from the organization QualityMatters.org, helping us create a higher level of quality in all of our teaching, in all of our programs. And imagine that uh, you can go in now and, and have quality be assessed 
in the programs and make sure that you have people that are constantly tweaking the programs at your universities, at your trade schools, and your online programs, taking them to the next level, bringing in the best learning about education and uh, how people learn. Powerful stuff. We'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion, find out what you can do as a parent to, uh, to get involved if you want to be a part of this as well. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you learn and live longer. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is Deb Adair. She is uh, from the organization QualityMatters.org, which is uh, an organization whose goal is to help improve the quality of our educational system. And basically, they provide quality uh, coaching, uh, quality training, and kind of an, an improvement process so that your your uh, educational facility can bring in and certify people from your organization to then ensure the quality of your teaching is at the highest standard. They base it on research, on student learning, and on the quality. It's something they do all through corporate America as a process called TQM, where you can train people uh, to be really um, educated and skilled in in building and evaluating the quality of your widget and your systems in corporate America. So why wouldn't it work in the in the educational world as well? And then on top of that, produce uh, and and make sure it's all centered around some of the greatest research and the students are actually learning. Heaven forbid, powerful stuff. Uh, we welcome you back, Deb. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Matt. I'm happy to be here. It's a it's a complicated thing because, uh, I mean, I guess is this is this whole idea of quality um, assurance and quality focus is it has it not always been a focus at universities and in in our educational system? Well, that's a, that's a loaded question. So <laughs> let me just say, uh, uh, I think I, I think this the. Uh, uh, you know, quality uh, uh, looks, uh, you know, it can be defined in many, many different ways. And I think, of course, uh, you know, we've always been concerned about quality, but trying to be uh, specific about what is the, what does the student experience look like and, and, and being very specific about, um, about, about student learning and what that looks like. And, and particularly for faculty who, by and large, um, uh, come into higher education, come into the faculty role without really having training in pedagogy, without really having any any training in um, how to teach, Hmm. although that's changing now in in graduate programs and the like. But I would say still the majority of the faculty working today haven't had that background. And so that's sort of what they're getting when they go through our professional development. And specifically, when we ask them to review according to our, our standards. And so what, one of the kind of interesting and very positive but unintended consequences of our, of our process and using faculty as reviewers is uh, the data that we're, we're collecting as a result is they're all telling us that 
um, this was the their, the best professional development that they've had is the ability to go in and review a peer's course and apply, you know, learn yeah. how to apply these standards. And that they are going back, the reviewers, the faculty reviewers are going back, and they're making changes to their face-to-face courses. So, you know, we have this assumption that our face-to-face regular traditional courses are the gold standard, but we've not we've not applied a, um, you know, standards to that mm-hmm. in the past, not, not the same kinds of standards. And so on a individual basis, the faculty who are participating in this are saying, Hey, you know, this has informed my practice in my face to face class. And, and we're, you know, we're making improvements across the board. And just, I, I can just see just the best practices, just seeing how other teachers do this and having a focus on quality and making sure the student experience is there. I mean, plus the corrections would come from your own faculty teams, not from external reviewers, right? I mean, it's, it's your, sure. it's your own. It's it's your own self improvement. I think that's I think it's powerful, and I, I've seen it work extensively in corporate America. I just um, I, I guess it it makes so much more sense in a teaching setting. I think, um, especially if there's a good camaraderie and a kind of a collegial spirit about it. Um, as we wrap up, what would you say is the one thing that we could do, Deb, as parents, as um, just concerned, you know, students at some of these organizations, if we want to see if we can improve quality by doing a similar process. Uh, so, so I think it's a, it's, um, you know, asking questions about not just, not just the, um, you know, the course itself, right. In terms of, of, you know, the, the standards and the quality experience there, but, but, uh, actually, uh, ensuring, especially if you're interested in doing this, online is how is the institution set up to support online students and, uh, you know, to ask a set of questions to be a savvy consumer. You know, if you're going to be taking courses remotely, what are the, what are the processes and practices by which they're assuring quality? How do they support you as a remote learner with, you know, academic support and tutoring and, and technology support, and is that available 24-7? And so it really is, is uh, I think, as consumers, as parents, as students, you need to actually um, to ask or question or demand that, that that support be there if you're going to invest your time and your money into um, education. I love it. I really do. And, um, man, I think it's about time. I mean, they've always worried about quality, like you said, but I think also in the end, man, having a, having a process, a, a way to facilitate it, even better for everybody. We'll take a break, continue the discussion. Again, that's Deb Adair. Go to her website, qualitymatters.org. If you're interested in uh, having this brought into your organization, your uh, system of higher education, your K through 12 ed, whatever you got going on, your online programs. Powerful. We'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Friends. To the Matt Townsend Show, Dr. Matt here. Hey, uh, we promised you earlier a, a crazy story about a woman arrested for stealing a French fry from a D.C. cop. 
right? I mean, so imagine you're a police officer and a guy steals, uh, you're sitting down to dinner and a woman comes up and just steals your French fries? What? What do you do with that? I mean, we already have enough uh, enough problems, right, going on out there with our police officers, and they're trying their best to integrate and to help the the people in society to get through their tough days. And then you sit down to lunch, and a woman steals your fries. So. What do you do about that? Well, we decided we're going to call the police officer. His his name is Officer Hobbs, and uh, he's from the Northwest D.C. area. He um, He's on the phone with us, and I wanted to just pick his brain about what he decided to do with this woman. Uh, officer Hobbs, are you there? Yes, sir. Thank you for having me on the show, Matt. You bet. Thank you for being on the show. Um, what a weird situation. You're just sitting there trying to have a good dinner a good, at a restaurant. And uh, maybe just tell us tell us what happened. Absolutely. So I was sitting in a booth. I was reading my Calvin Hobbes when the uh, perp approached me and began engaging in conversation. You know, I like my private time, but I was uh, willing to indulge her for a bit, Um it was at this point that she reached across the table and stole a French fry from my tray, and I asked this individual to cease and desist her activities, and uh, from there the situation only escalated as she continued to steal my French fries. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess I shouldn't laugh. I mean, this was uh, this, this was apparently pretty offensive to you. How, how many fries did she end up taking, officer? Uh, you know, all said, she stole about three French fries, uh, but she was attempting to abscond with the remaining fries. Uh, unfortunately, I had left my handcuffs in my police vehicle. However, I was able to restrain her with a couple of uh, tied-up soda straws. <laughs> I see you, you fastened the soda straws as a cuff for her. Yeah. Well, we, from time to time, we have to make makeshift uh, handcuffs. Yeah, little MacGyver moment I mean, i'm not trying to diminish it officer but um you, you you eventually arrest so she she was arrested then for uh taking i guess three fries that is correct sir yes um was was any i mean was anyone hurt was was anyone hurt in this situation uh, you know not really matt uh, things did get a bit messy as she struggled to free herself. Uh, her head went crashing down into the ketchup cup. But uh, then backup finally arrived, uh, at which point I escorted the perp back to police headquarters where she was charged with second-degree threat. Hmm. So, um, you know, I, I read the police report uh, that the property stolen was listed as, as French fried potatoes. Correct. Um, I, I didn't know that sneaking a few spuds was was a punishable offense, something that you could arrest somebody for. Uh, it, it most definitely is, Matt. That, that's actually a code 199, possession of stolen frat goods. Uh, you know, property is property. The law is no respecter of property. Uh, um, yeah, so th- there, there actually is a code 199, huh, that's possession of... Stolen fried goods? That's correct. Huh. Uh, I, I wouldn't have guessed that uh, that this was such a frequent occurrence that you'd actually need a police code for it. 
Matt, if I had a dime for every time this sort of thing happened, I could retire today, to tell you the truth. I, just a few minutes ago, I got a report on a man taking a swig of an officer's chocolate milkshake. Ooh. And uh, if you've ever tasted a chocolate milkshake, you know that, that would, that's a crime. Wow. What, uh, what would have happened if she, had, if she had made off with the rest of your fries and, and maybe your shake? Well, you know, the punishment probably would have been about the same. To tell you the truth, though, uh, she's lucky that those were not waffle fries. If they were waffle fries, the punishment would have been much more severe. <laughs> really? Are you serious? Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's it's all about ounces, Matt, really. For instance, if you were to steal a steak fry, that's the equivalent of, like, three regular fries. But if you steal a waffle fry, that's... That's got to be six or seven fries easily right there. Wow. I didn't, I didn't realize this was that serious of, an, of a deal. Um, well, Officer Hobbs, we appreciate you. Uh, appreciate your good work out there and uh, keeping the fries on the plate. Um, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. I just want to put the message out there that uh, we take this thing very seriously and we do not uh, mess around. So just keep your hands to your own fries. That's a great point. Uh, Very good point. Uh, Anyway, great. Uh, Appreciate you, Officer Hobbs. Thank you so much. We're now going to turn the time over to one of our great producers. Leanna Tan's going to be talking about uh, not fries, because that's not everyone's problem. Her case is roommates. So I'm always looking for ways to live a happier, healthier life. And then the other day I ran across some articles talking about the importance of having a good relationship with your roommate. Yeah, they said that a bad relationship could lead to a college life of seclusion, dreading to go home, of lower grades, higher stress, depression, eating disorder, and negative self-image. On November 13th, Felix Unger was asked to remove himself from his place of residence. Can two divorced men share an apartment without driving each other crazy? I read some articles that said in order to build a successful roommate relationship, I needed to keep the lines of communication open and address potential problems to get them out in the open so that there will be fewer surprises down the road. It advised me to take some time to talk about our habits and preferences and said it is extremely important to get to know what kind of person your roommate is before you decide to live with them. Can't take it anymore, Felix. I'm cracking up. Everything you do irritates me. And I started to get really nervous because I didn't remember having this sort of talk with any of my roommates before. You're not here. The things I know you're going to do when you come in irritate me. In fact, I didn't even know my roommate before I moved in with her. What if I have scarred past roommates for life without even knowing it? Some days I feel broken, but I won't admit. What if I'm scarred for life without even knowing it? What if I'm forcing my roommate into a life of seclusion? Nah. Then... I came across this article that has a list of questions that I'm supposed to ask my roommate before moving in. And it says, if you have already decided on a roommate and forgot to ask them these questions, don't worry. You can still bring them up now. So, of course, I took immediate action and brought in my very own roommate. Hello, I'm Callie Gardner. And you know that she's a true roommate when I walk in every morning blasting Christmas music in September and she doesn't even care. I trust you a lot because I sleep underneath 
your bunk bed every night. Can we turn our beds into bunk beds? It'll give us so much extra space in our room. Please say yes. You don't need permission from us to build bunk beds. You're adults. With the knowledge that at any moment that could literally come crashing down on me and yep. pierce through my flesh. I don't know how much closer we could get than bunk mates, but for the sake of your current and future mental well-being... I think we need to have a talk. Come and sit down, son. <laughs> we need to talk. I found on this website, society19.com, that there are a few questions that I should have asked you before oh. we roomed together. What? Do you have any allergies? Uh. <laughs> so, I used to be allergic to Fruit Loops and Scooby-Doo Frats fruit snacks. Ah, uh, a shaggy snack? Yes. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I had no idea you had an aversion to Fruit Loops and Scooby-Doo's fruit snacks. I'm here for you. What temperature do you like the room? Well, that depends on how many clothes you're comfortable seeing me wear. <laughs> Probably colder is better. I think we should save on utilities, so let's do cold. Okay, let's just not use the heater during the winter at Okay. All. How will we break up the chores of the room? So are you going to clean my laundry, or do I have to do that? I, there was that one time I folded your laundry. That time you took it off the drying rack and you <laughs> stuck it, it on, on my bed. Work, 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 work. It's to me heavy work, work, work. Are you going to clean off my desk? I'm not going to clean off I know that all the mess is really my side of the room, but we need to split up the chores somehow. You know, I mean, I have a lot of chores to do. Cleaning my desk, vacuuming the floor, making my bed. Don't be embarrassed of this next question, but it's very important for my health and well-being. Do you smoke or vape? What kind of question is that? I'll take up smoking and give that up. Good for you, son. Have a dollar. But he didn't do anything. Hey, wait a minute. He didn't. Ooh, I don't. <laughs> uh, no. Five. How do you feel about sharing? Well, you've borrowed one of my shirts. More than one. More but, than one, yeah. I mean, so how... How many of your clothes can I take? I mean, can I take them? Deal stuff. It's an exchange thing. <laughs> I, I think that it's nice to, to know just that you're using them. Well, I'm glad that you're okay with sharing because I'm really, I'm really open at taking. I prefer you didn't use my deodorant. Oh, so was it bad of me to use your toothbrush? Is that oh, not okay? Well, that is a load off my conscience. Now, if my roommate flunks out of school or goes into depression, at least I'll know it wasn't due to my lack of open communication. So, everyone, save you and your roommate the mental scarring and ask them these five simple questions. They will open your eyes and take your relationship to a whole new level. You think this may be trivial, but think about the extended wardrobe and extra laundry folder you'll be losing if you don't. Happy heart to hearting. Well... I'm Liana Tan, and that's my little tangent. Hello, is this Doug? We're at the 4 o'clock hour, aren't we? <laughs> we are, yeah. All right. Let's see. I'm, I'm just wondering. I just got in the middle of a, a swarm of bees. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's real. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, you all right? Can you, can you give me 15 minutes? Of course we can. I'll talk to you in 15 minutes. I'll that sounds great. Yeah, be safe. True story or tall tale. Listen to some hilarious and heartwarming stories on the Appleseed. Weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio. KBYU FM, HD2 Provo. 
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the program. Hour number three of the show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, holding your hand through life. Not that you need it, but you know, you didn't, you weren't born with an owner's manual. So on the program, we like to give you the latest, the greatest research, news updates, plus stories that flat out make you feel good about yourself. Some of them just because you think, no way are they thinking that way. I am so much smarter than everyone else because I would never do that. We got a lot of stuff to talk about today. Um, We, by the way, are, of course, celebrating um, the World Day of Bullying Prevention. Today, no more bullying. Why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? Leave. Man, if you're going to bully somebody, you got to know the line. Make like a tree and get out of here. Sad day. Were you ever bullied? Not really. Me either. We had a guy on the, you know, playground that everyone knew was the bully, but he was just go smoke cigarettes in the corner of the playground. I don't think people knew what to do with me. Didn't they? To be honest. <laughs> Why? Just because your your personality? I was funny, or at least I thought I was yeah. funny, and so... You're hilarious. Today. Right. Know. But that's the thing. You you would take them on, and they. That's what I learned is if you use humor, they could punch you. But then you just had to be smart enough to not be punched by the guy. I guess I didn't see that much bullying. It was usually usually people fighting against each other. But it, I don't remember seeing too many bullies. Yeah. I mean, they were even nice to the kids that were in special education. Yeah, and, you were in Southern Cal. Yeah, see, SoCal, SoCal, or the OC, which is not its name. 90210, right? That was not my What was zip your zip code? code? Do you remember? 92806. Ah, not even close. There was a show about that too, I think. Was there? That was the lesser known show. Yeah. We didn't have Luke Perry, but we had uh, <laughs> Luke Smith. Skywalker. I don't know. Luke Skywalker. Cool. So today we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, World Day of Bullying Prevention. It's also Virus Appreciation Day. Virus Whether it's your computer virus, a living organism in your body, what have you, they're clever little things, aren't they? Today's the day you take that annoying virus. Sure, it frustrates you, but you know what? It's time to get some protective measures up so you don't get infected. Virus Appreciation Day. You know, pick your virus. Herpes simplex 2. I don't know. I don't know the numbers. If you had to choose which virus you could contract. I like to go with the old common cold. That's why I go get the shots. Then I get the cold about a week later. Okay. All right. By the way, my leg's working better now. A couple ibuprofen, my leg started working. I don't know. Weird thing. Weird science. Somebody figured that out. It just wouldn't work. Just cramping up one leg. All of a sudden, I'm thinking I'm dying. Couldn't walk. Couldn't stand. We had him on oxygen in the corner. He had me on. Somebody was doing CPR, which you're not supposed to do if I'm talking. If I'm talking, don't. And someone yelled clear and they were going to like electrocute me. They were going to defibrillate me. It was close. Super close. Today, by the way, 
Uh, you're not hearing from Terry South because Terry's at home with his lovely wife and their brand new baby, Morgan. Cute little nine pound, six ounce, chubby chub baby. Cute as can be. Everyone's healthy. Everyone's happy. And Terry's still working from home because he can't turn it off. Even though he's helping, don't get him wrong. He just – this guy's got incredible abilities and he's – just loves the news. So he oh, keeps – baby. Hubba, hubba, hubba. That's cute little Morgan. Her first words. So congratulations to both of them. We've got a, a great show for you today. Uh, would you rather have somebody angry at you or somebody that's disappointed in you? Yes. Like true blue anger just ticked off at you or somebody that looks at you and says, oh, Jeffrey. Anger. That's so disappointing. Anger for yeah. sure. We're going to talk to an expert on the subject that uh, maybe the the disappointment thing you know, causes a lot of shaming, maybe much more painful than just being angry at somebody. So we'll talk about that. Also go visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up on their show, and celebrate the win of the Cougars. Um, they, they did a great job, pulled out a close one. That worked out okay. We'll get into all of that, plus find out about the, the next game that's coming up. And, of course, go uh, do a little hero of the day. Plus, just where does this end? There's so many stories we could tell you back about, including a woman trying to scare off a crocodile with a flip-flop. Not recommended. Not recommended. But first, to Sadie Nielsen and the headline. Sadie, what's going on around the country? A third-grade student in Texas was surprised with a $10,000 scholarship and early admittance to a Texas university after a video of her saying her daily motivational mantra caught the eyes of the university administrators. Jordan Phipps, a of Garland, Texas, was filmed by her mother, mom earlier this month repeating the motivational phrase she and her classmates say daily. After filming the video, Jordan was told by the university's director of admissions that she had won the Presidential Excellence Scholarship for Leadership, a $10,000 prize usually given to high school seniors and transfer students. She's also guaranteed a spot in the school's class of 2030. One of the data recorders on the New Jersey Transit that crashed last week wasn't working, further complicating the investigators' struggle to figure out exactly what went wrong, authorities said Sunday. A woman was killed and more than 100 people were injured Thursday morning when the New Jersey Transit train slammed into the Hoboken Terminal. Authorities have said terminal signals, signals appeared to be working normally, but that the train was traveling far too fast. But the vice chairwoman of the National Transportation Safety Board said at a news conference Sunday that the engineer had told investigators that he was going only 10 miles per hour. Investigators are still searching for the other data recorder that would reveal exactly what happened. Cleveland Cavaliers star LeBron James is endorsing Hillary Clinton for president. In an exclusive interview with Business Insider, he said, When I look at this year's presidential race, it's clear which candidate believes in giving back to the community. Only one person running truly understands the struggles of a child born into poverty. And when I think about the kind of policies and ideas the kids in my foundation need from our government, the choice is clear. That candidate is Hillary Clinton. And finally, this one uh, uh, is your millennial news for the day. What? A uh, high school student in Washington planned an elaborate stunt to ask himself to homecoming in front of his classmates. Get this. Lawrence shared photos and videos of the proposal as he attempted to send a message to other students to not be ashamed of attending the event alone. He was guiding into the crowded cafeteria wearing a blindfold until he stopped in front of a mirror as students dropped balloons and a pair of banners which read, Lawrence, homecoming? 
Once the blindfold was removed, he dropped to one knee and offered his proposal into the mirror. Lawrence, you're the most beautiful person I've met in my life, he said. So I want to know if you'd go to homecoming with yourself. <laughs> he then stood and shouted, I'm going to homecoming with myself. As students clapped, and another ah. batter w- dropped, which said, love yourself. Love yourself, man. That's cool. Yeah. So I mean, it's just, I'm you, really happy for him. That's really cool. He uh, He's trying to send a good message out there. And, you know, in my school, in high school, there was a lot of kids who just wouldn't go to homecoming because they weren't asked. Right. And so the fact that he's going by himself, you know, good for him. See, Kudos. Back in my day, um, you, you, I don't know, you would ask yourself. Mm-hmm. And then I, my problem is every time I asked myself to go, I rejected myself. So the cool thing. Because I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Stuart Smalley. Excellent. You know what? That's a great story. And what a cool lesson to everybody else that you just need to love you. Absolutely. Plus, by the way, it's half price. Oh, yeah. Totally. It's a a half off. And why wouldn't everyone go? If a bunch of them haven't been asked, everybody go and then just dance with each other. It's such a brilliant idea. It's half price, but he's going to have to pay more for the limo. That's true. Totally true. Yep. Um, you know, what's great is if you have like multiple personalities, it's almost like you're going with a group. That's true. You just go with. I think there's a scary movie coming out about that. The Angry You. M. Night Shyamalan. You. Yeah. Yeah. Scary movie. Multiple personalities. Let's, let's know. No. Let's, just just one personality. It's called like a split or sliver <laughs> or slice. Ooh. Isn't that the one about snakes? No. No, that's snakes on a plane. Oh, yeah. That was bad. That was pretty bad, I must say. Hey, um, thank you, Sadie. That is a cool story. What a great kid. Just taking it, doing it for everybody. I'm just going to go invite myself to go and, you know, what if everybody did that? Hey, do you want to dance? Absolutely. And just get out there and just shake it. I saw you standing over there in the corner by yourself. What's a guy like you doing in a place like this? Just standing here by the punch bowl. Oh, I love this song. This says this says homecoming to me. So wait a minute. You what year did you graduate high school? 87. Class of 87. Sounds Actually, about I was right. I supposed then. to graduate in 87. Finally got it done in 89. It was hard. I was just kidding. Uh, 87, class of 87. So you loved high school way too much. Not, yeah. You just wanted to I was stick so around. I was done. Yeah. So this is about right then. This is, yeah, this is totally right. Wow. Yep. This is good music. Hey, um, uh, sometimes you don't learn even though you've graduated. You may not be thinking straight. And many are, are saying that a woman in uh, Florida – oh, uh, sorry, Australia uh, in the Northern Territory – was wasn't thinking when she tried to force a prowling saltwater crocodile to turn and run away from her. Yeesh. She uh, she didn't you know she didn't slap at it. She instead took her flip flop off and started slapping her flip flop um, against her hand and then shouting at the reptile. What was that noise? That was an alligator hiss. I don't think so. That sounded like a pencil sharpener. The woman was standing with a small dog on the edge of the water uh, at Cahill's Crossing on the East Alligator River in Kakadu National Park 
when she scared the crocodile off, much to the concern of one onlooker. It's just incredible somebody would take such a risk. I don't think she realized how dangerous this kind of behavior is, local crocodile enthusiast Lyndon Anzalark said. That really hurt. I'm going to have a lump there, you idiot. The the local rangers there believe that there are more than 120 crocs in a six-kilometer, four-mile stretch of the river. And she ran one off with her flip-flop. Where was that again? In Australia. Australia's Northern Territory. By the way, what a great what a great name for the park. Cockadoo. <laughs> nice. Cockadoo. I don't find that funny. Me neither. A lot of a lot of crocodiles there. They could they should call it crocodoo. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, By the way, just if you're keeping score, today is also Techie Day. Today, National Techies Day, students are encouraged to consider a career in technology. Which, you know what? Yeah, we need that. In 1999, it was expected that 60% of the new jobs would require advanced technology skills that Americans didn't have. That's when this whole Techie Day began. If you go back and do it over again, would you get a, a degree in something techie? No. No. My my head's not a techie head. How about I'm writing songs about robots? I'd rather dance like a robot. I'd rather do the robot than be techie about the robot. So today's the day. Today is the day. Talk to your kids. Say, kids, maybe it's time to learn to code. And if not, maybe it's time to learn to get out there and do sales or talk to somebody on tech. Yeah, son, just pull your cell phone out. Start talking. A lot going on, man. It's also Virus Day. We talked about that. Techie Day. I like Techie Day more than Virus Day. Don't know why. It's Virus Appreciation Day. Yeah. I, I'm not into viruses. They, they irritate me. They actually irritate my body. What about computer viruses? Those irritate me the most. I had my computer shut down on me this weekend. Just shut down. Then I realized, not being a techie, that someone had unplugged it and it just ran out of charge. So you won't be celebrating Virus Appreciation Day? Absolutely not. I am going to celebrate walking just because I thought I had a virus in my leg. But it wasn't. It was just, I don't know what it was. But a little ibuprofen helped. Hey, we will take a break, my friends. When we come back, we're going to continue this discussion about uh, disappointment. Would you rather have someone angry at you or disappointed? Have you ever used that line? I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Mm, Is that healthy? Stick with us. We'll talk to a pro about playing the disappointment card. Be careful. Stick with us. We'll be right back. The staff and management of BYU Radio do not condone the housing and boarding of alligators or any other illegally acquired reptiles in any private domicile.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, sometimes we say uh, hurtful things when we get in a heated argument. It's, it's hard to imagine anything more piercing than a glaring look, a harsh reminder of the past, or biting criticism of someone we love. But is there something even more hurtful than passionate anger? Sometimes it's a quiet disapproval rather than an explosive, angry outburst that strikes us to the core. University of St. Andrews Professor of Philosophy Catherine Hawley joins us today from Scotland to discuss her article, Why Someone's Disappointment Hurts Us More Than Their Anger. Thank you so much, Catherine, for being with us. Hi, Matt. It's good to be here. Great to talk to you. I loved uh, this article. It it brings up just a very... Um, maybe not even so subtle nuance of relationships, D- disappointment in f- having somebody feel like they're disappointed in us, it's different, and is it healthier, less healthy than having them just angry at us? Well, that's a great question, and um, that's, that's what got me interested in this issue in the first place. I think a lot depends on who we're talking to um, and what we expect from them. But, yeah, you're right. When it's, uh, when it's someone we're close with, maybe a spouse, to hear that disappointment rather than anger can feel, it can make you feel small, it makes you feel like a child, and that can make you feel like there's a, I think some ways, a, a kind of deeper problem in the relationship than just a quick flash of anger, but maybe we can get over quickly. It's, it is. It almost puts you back into that kind of um, unequal relationship or hierarchy where it's something like your, your mom is disappointed uh-huh. and you're more like a child. I think that's exactly right, and that's not what we want to feel when we're when we're talking to a spouse or talking to our close friends. You know, when you're in an, an adult relationship, we treat each other as equals, or at least that's what we hope. And I think part of that is when you know when we do something wrong, which which we do, you know, and when we do something wrong, we don't want to be treated like a naughty child. We feel like we should be treated as someone, as an adult who's responsible for their action, and you know that that can be something that that provokes anger in other people. And when you don't get that feedback, when you don't get that response, it can make you stop and wonder, well, hold on, you know, what's going on here? What's, what kind of relationship is this? Mm. I don't want to be back at home with my parents when right. I'm, when I'm uh, talking to my spouse. It's funny. Unintentionally, you may put them in this kind of one-down place, this one-down position, and immediately they feel like helpless. I mean, is this, is this a pattern that we fall into or is this just a reactive thing? How does this come to be? That's, again, a great question. I think, I mean, everyone's relationships are different, right? So different things will happen to different people at different stages. But that sense of disappointment, I think, often carries with it resignation. You know, it's, this has just happened too many times, maybe. I think sometimes when, when we're in a, a difficult relationship, the first few times things go wrong, we, we get passionate, we get angry. But when this starts to fall into a pattern, it's just... You know, someone's fallen again. You know, it's, it's, it's a problem that you've seen before. That's often when anger, I think, can turn into disappointment. And if you've reached that stage, it, it can be difficult to turn things around. And, it's, and it's, it can be puzzling, I think, for people on both sides of that, that, that relationship. Because, you know, it's, it's, it would seem strange to say, I want, I want you to be angry. I mean, anger is not something normally that we welcome. But if the, if the alternative is disappointment, then maybe... You know, maybe that is something that we need to turn back to. Well, and I mean, even if you're as a parent disappointed in what your child did, mm-hmm. um, it's I mean, I guess even then it's still I get I don't want my child to think that they have so much control over my emotion. 
That's right. I think that's right. So when you, I mean, we've all been there. I have kids and, you know, I, I can't say I never get angry with them because right. sometimes I do. But when you, when, you, when you get that kind of hot response to, with your kids, you know, usually you realize afterwards that that wasn't the most constructive thing. It wasn't good for them. It wasn't good for you. Um, and so trying to express when it really is a parent-child relation, if you can express that, you know, I'm disappointed, but I still love you, that can be the most positive thing because it can show them that you care, that you're engaged, that you want them to be better, that you think they can be better. But, yeah, but that they are not be able just to kind of press your buttons and get you worked up, get you angry when they feel like it. Mm. It's a uh, – I mean, I guess, too, with disappointment, it seems like we could get really good at just trying to guilt uh, and use guilt to, to guilt uh-huh. the person. Yeah, that's right. And I think that, that goes back to that sort of parent-child thing. Like, so to some extent, right, when, when, when you are, if you are a parent and you're dealing with a child – there's a little bit that, you, yeah, you want them to feel bad about what they've done, not bad as a person, but to reflect on, you know, the way in which they've, they've fallen short from your expectations and, help, and to the extent that that will help them behave better next time around. But if that's just a kind of constant pattern or if you turn that into something that you're doing with your friends or with your spouse, then, yeah, it, I think it can be a form of manipulation. Hmm. It's a way of saying, well, look, I'm the mature one here. You know, I'm 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 exerting some kind of authority over you, and that's yeah, that's that's not always good. Does it? How does it harm the relationship uh, down the road if we if we overuse this this disappointment mentality? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I mean, I think sometimes it can be a sign of a relationship that that's already got some issues. So you can imagine if you if you have to confess to your spouse that you've done something terribly wrong or, you know, an infidelity or something dreadful like that, and all you get back there is disappointment rather than anger, you might, that might be a sign that there's already, you know, there's already some kind of deep issue there. But if we, you know, if we, if we, if we, if we, if we express disappointment often and we never get kind of engaged emotionally with, with people, then... You know, in a way, you are you're turning what should be an adult relationship into something that's more more distant. That's perhaps more appropriate for you know, a, 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 as we said, a relationship with children or a relationship with your neighbours or your workplace colleagues, where you know, context in which we should keep emotions pretty kind of damped down. If you're into that kind of situation with your your close friends or with your spouse. In the end, you're missing out on a kind of intimacy, I think. Hmm. Now, in, in your uh, article, Why Some Disappointment Hurts Us, Why Someone's Disappointment Hurts Us More Than Their Anger, mm-hmm. you talk about this reactive attitudes um, as doctor or philosopher Strassen gets into. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, is a reactive attitude just kind of a behavior that we end up defaulting into without thinking? I mean, it's a way. So when Strawson talked about reactive attitudes, he was trying to get a grip on the way in which, um, you know, sometimes we treat each other as peers and as people that we're really engaged with. We hold each other responsible for our behaviour, um, and we blame people when we go when things go wrong, praise things when praise them when things go well, and those sort of sort of kind of engaged emotions he talked about as reactive attitudes. In other circumstances, we deal with each other just as kind of parts of the world around us, things we have to kind of, uh, we have to sort of predict what other people are going to do, we have to imagine how they're going to feel, but we don't really kind of think of them as, as moral people in their own right. And, you know, when we're, when we're 
de dealing with each other, whether it's in the family or at work or in the community, we've got to get a good balance there. Right? We have to hold each other responsible for our actions, for what we do, for what we say. But at the same time, if we're constantly, you know, morally holding everyone to account and sort of totting up the balance as to who's done right and who's done wrong, that can be, that can go too far, right? That can, mm. make, that can make life difficult. Sometimes we just have to kind of rub along with each other and realize that, you know, you can't fight all the battles and you can't be the person who's always going around telling people what they should and shouldn't be doing. Right. Yeah, because you become like the moral authority for the, for the relationship yeah. or the friendship. Absolutely. And, you know, we, you need a little bit of that in a relationship if you're going to be honest with each other and healthy with each other. But that can't be the whole story, right? Mm. Because that's, 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 that's not what we want to be no. hearing morning, noon and night. Well, and you, you brought up a really good point earlier about the fact that if we are disappointed, disappointed almost connotes or denotes more of a resignation. Like mm -hmm. you're fed up. It also seems like it, it's a lot fixer, harder to fix. Um, uh, that than it would be if you're just angry. I mean, anger, I kind of know, will go away. But mm -hmm. disappointed seems like you're going to remember it forever. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. That's partly why it can hurt. I mean, I think one thing that can make a difference, right, is whether you say you're disappointed in the person mm -hmm. or whether you say you're disappointed about what happened or about what the person did or what they said. I think saying, well, you know, as we might to a kid, you know, I'm disappointed that you did that. That, I think, holds out the hope that, well, but maybe next time it'll be better. Yeah, right? Next yeah. time you'll live up to, to the standards or to my expectations. You can still be hopeful there. But when you say you're disappointed in a person, well, I mean, maybe they can change, right? Maybe they can right. do something about it. But it does seem a bit more like a judgment about their character, something that's going to be a bit harder to get over. So true. And again, that's with a huge. child... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's such a great way to look at it. Make sure if you're uh -huh. going to use... The word disappointment that you tie it to an activity. I think that's exactly right, especially if you're in a situation where you're wanting the person, you know, you don't just want to express how you feel, but you want the person to learn something from that, to maybe mm. behave differently in the future, to get a grip on what it is. You know, you don't want to just tell someone they're a bad person. Right? Right. That's, that's, that's kind of mean. It's not constructive. It's not, it's not a good way to form a relationship. But if you can express what it is about what they did or what they said or what they didn't do that disappointed you, that, that I think can hold out more, certainly more hope. And it's more, it can be more of a constructive or kind of learning experience. Yeah. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Catherine Hawley, who is a professor at University of St. Andrews and a professor of philosophy there. She's also um, the author of her latest book, Trust, a very short introduction. And you can find her on her Twitter handle, at Holly Catherine. Um, great, great insight. We'll come back, continue the discussion, give you more tools on what else you can say instead of just expressing disappointment or other ways to make sure you're, you're being disappointed in a healthier way and uh, stronger and able to create a stronger relationship. Stick with us, helping you love stronger right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is Catherine Hawley. She is a professor of philosophy at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland, 
and is um, uh, had just written an article, Why Someone's Disappointment Hurts Us More Than Their Anger. She also has a book out, Trust, a very short introduction. And uh, she's walking us through why you got to be careful when you're expressing disappointment um, versus, you know, other feelings. And I, I guess, first of all, Catherine, welcome back to the show. Thank you again for being with us. Hi. Um, one of the problems is... I mean, disappointment, it's almost like we feel like we need to say something, right? So if mm-hmm. I'm feeling disappointed, I got to just say it. And you you were guiding us before the break about how important it is. If you're going to be disappointed, make sure you point out what you're disappointed in instead of saying that you're disappointed in the person. Tell them mm-hmm. what they did. Um, do we Do we have to express disappointment? Well, that's a great point, and I think the answer is no, right? I mean, for lots of reasons. Sometimes I think it's about picking your battles, right? Um, you can't, if, 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 well, it depends, especially if you're, if you're dealing with somebody um, who you're finding problematic for various reasons, whatever that might be, whether that's in the workplace or friends or family. If there's a lot of things that are making you disappointment and you, making you feel disappointed and you lay that all on them, that's not going to get you anywhere right. so that's partly a strategic question there about well what thinking what what's most important to me or what what do i think can be fixed here and maybe starting with that but also i think it's important to think about you know actually were my expectations reasonable sometimes you can feel disappointed about what someone's done or haven't done but when you step back and think about it you might realize well maybe that wasn't fair of me to to expect that of them um and i think this can be this can be difficult sometimes. We talked before the break about parenting and, and young children and so on. But when we think about relationships between parents and adult children on both sides, it can be difficult sometimes to know what, what's a reasonable expectation. How much can we expect each other to, to take account of hmm. the other person's wishes and desires? And, you know, sometimes, sometimes a little bit of disappointment is inevitable. We can't, we can't always get what we want. Right. In fact, you bring up in, in the article, too, about context. Uh, the mm-hmm. context of the conversation matters, whether it's with spouse or partner or a work colleague. I mean, you really mm-hmm. have to manage your expectations and, I guess, your, I guess, your sense of disappointment depending on the relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, I mean, sometimes people disappoint us really through no fault of their own. So you can imagine if you're, you know, say you arranged to, to meet a friend for lunch and then she can't make it because she's sick or she has a family emergency, well, you're going to feel disappointed. That's part of what, you know, you hope to have a nice lunch, but it would be crazy to, to sort of tell your friend off or to kind of express that as, as if the person had done something wrong. But disappointment in that kind of context, there's, there's no one to blame. It's, hmm. just, it's just one of these things that happen. And so sometimes, again, I think when we're feeling disappointed with what other people are doing, before expressing that, or when we're thinking about how to express that disappointment, um, it's worth, again, stepping back and thinking, well, okay, I wish things had gone differently, but is anyone to blame here? You know, has anyone done anything wrong? And if not, if the person's got a perfectly good reason for doing what they did, then maybe, you know, maybe that's not the time in which you should be expressing your disappointment. What other tools or things do we need to remember if we're going to express, the, you know, our disappointment with what they've mm-hmm. done? Anything else that we want to make sure is, is in the statement or in our communication? Yeah, 
Yeah, I think we covered, I mean, we talked a little bit already about clarity, helping the person understand what it is about what they've done or what they haven't done, what they've said that is, is making you feel this way. Because without that, it's, it's going to be hard for them to, to know how to, how to change for the future. Um, I think if you can find a way of helping the person understand what it is about what they did that, that is making you feel bad, sometimes I think people disappoint us because they don't realize how important something is to us, like yes. a, a phone call or a card or whatever. Maybe to them it's, it's nothing. But if we can make them understand why it matters to us, that can, that can really help for the future. And I think, again, it depends who you're working with and what sort of context you're in. But if you can somehow put that in the context of, yeah, I'm disappointed, but I love you, or I'm, I'm disappointed because normally your work is so great, so, you know, wrapping it up in something positive as well, I think that, that can really make a big difference. Yeah. Make people more receptive to what you're saying. I guess, too, pointing out when they are doing a great job as, as opposed to only when they disappoint. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's right. You know what I mean? As we as we um, wrap it up, what would you say? I mean, is there a better word to use than disappointed? Can you think of one? I mean, because I guess the thing about it is, it's all words are they're fair, they're negotiated, right? So, yeah, we could just frame it as another feeling. That's right. I mean, it, it depends what you want to get out of it. Like, so sometimes I think we do just want to express how we feel, and that that can be healthy. But I think also if we, want to, if we want to influence people to maybe behave differently in the future, I mean, one, way of think, one, one more positive way of expressing disappointment, I think, is to say, well, I know how good you can be. I know what you can achieve. Um, and it's a shame that you didn't reach that high standard of the, on this occasion. Yeah, or, yeah. you know, it's a shame things didn't go well so well this time. I think that, that can be, especially for maybe, you know, as we talked about before with a child or someone who's still learning... Um, as it is, we often are all still learning. Giving that kind of positive spin about what people can do mm. um, can make it, can I think, help the message go across a lot more easily. Good stuff. Well, we appreciate you, Catherine. Thank you so much. And keep up your great work on uh, on everything. Your book, Trust, a very short introduction. You can go to her website, katherineholly.org, uh, katherineholly.org, or look her up on Twitter, Holly Catherine, at Holly Catherine. Um, great insight, folks. Careful. Disappointment. It carries a heavy a heavy load. We will take a break, come back, and uh, visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's going to be up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're all going to Disneyland, folks. It's gonna, it will feel like that because we're going to shoot it down to our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. Yo, Price up, is dog? right. Music is rolling. Do you love hey, this nice song? Willy Wonka. Did you like that? Yeah. Isn't it? Uh, doesn't it bring back memories? A little Willy Wonka and Price is Right. Yes, I loved watching The Price is Right every morning. Me too. As a child. Yeah. Sleeping in, getting up. Eating Cheerios and watching The Price is Right. I have a friend whose sister won a car, and he was in the uh, audience, you know, helping her. And he was like the main uh, consultant, you know, for mm-hmm. her in the crowd. And she won a car. He has it on his DVR today. Really? Oh, that's amazing. Which is awesome. We watched it. I'm like, oh, dude, you totally nailed it. Bob that Barker. Is amazing. You remember, he's the guy that made famous the really long microphone. 
the and long. The price is wrong. The price is <laughs> wrong. Wah, 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 wah. Um, and <laughs> the wheel, right? The, that what a oh, great. Yeah. Every time I close my trunk, I feel like I'm spinning that wheel. I'm like, let's do this. Get a dollar. Because you're not sure if the trunk will close. Yeah, I'm like, please close. <laughs> Jeremy, you need to find the uh, the loser's horn. Yeah. Bum, bum, oh, yeah, I love bum. it. Okay, now there's a backstory to that, Matt. Every Why? time I hear that, I think about something <laughs> that would happen on a regular basis at one of the smaller stations I worked at early in my broadcasting yeah. career. I worked with somebody that was the classic one-upper. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> and no matter what you had done. He could one-up you. Or she. Uh-huh. I'm not going to. Okay. That means she. Okay. He or she could have or did do something better. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> like, to the point where we would make things up to see if give this us, person give had us an done example. something else. Give us okay? one example. <laughs> like, one time I think I said, yeah, I broke my leg playing football one year and like, Four weeks later, like I somewhat was miraculously back on the field and running for touchdowns. Like, and she would come and be like, "Oh yeah, well I remember this one time that like I had seven broken ribs and you know." Beat you. <laughs> so here's the thing. Oh, we had that within like a few frames. That was crazy. I had a buddy <laughs> that I worked with that as soon as this person started going off, <laughs> he would play that sound. Oh. <laughs> To signal to everybody else in the newsroom that it's happening again. <laughs> it's happening. This person had no idea. She's she's at it again. She had no idea. She's like, why does that sound keep happening? <laughs> Hypothetically, like it, we don't know if it was a girl or a guy. Well, this we one time know. I really was on the prices right, and I really did lose, and I heard that noise for real. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> oh, oh that's sad. Sad. Seriously, I talk about like some amazing sports experience that I had just to yeah. like be like, oh, I was at this game and it yeah. was awesome. And she's like, again, she. It's a she. Okay. Okay. It's a she. It's we a know she. who it is. We know who it is. I worked with a lot of. May or may not. Females <laughs> in the broadcast business. Okay. There's nobody that's going to. I'm going to go find you now. I'm going to go find it. She'd be like, well, I went to this amazing soccer match on my tour of England. And blah, blah, blah. I'm like, come on. You're just like, let me have one moment in the sun. Just can can I not just win something? Okay, so here's one. Does so what's the sounder that play is played when LeBron James announces that Hillary he's fall, he's uh, going to endorse uh, Hillary Clinton? <laughs> Probably that. <laughs> is that it? It's firing everywhere. <laughs> Both TV and radio are firing it. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. You it's, did not think you were going to get into this, did this you? Is, no, I didn't. But this is I really apologize. good. I apologize. I've hijacked oh, this no, whole thing. No, no, no. That's really good. Is, do you guys have a do you have a feeling about uh, LeBron endorsing a political candidate? Does it matter if a sports hero kind of leader he's a, endorses? He's an American as well. He can endorse whoever. He, he wants. can endorse whoever. I whomever. believe he's American. Yeah. Um, we we had Mitt Romney uh, on the pregame show Friday. Really? Mm-hmm. On the field with Lauren. And uh, behind Mitt in the Roar of the Cougars, a.k.a. Rock student section, there was someone holding a Hillary Are you big serious? head cutout. So we were like, what was that? <laughs> Too perfect. The most Republican student section Ever. in America. Right. And they have a Hillary Clinton head. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We are perfect. We debuted a new segment called That Was Weird. That was weird. Yeah, it's my favorite thing ever. Oh, that's good. Um, you guys, and that was one of them. Did you guys, did you guys watch the game? Um, 
I thought it was on Saturday. I totally missed it. No, darn it. Did you? What happened? Yeah. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> you guys, that's exciting. They, they did it. They did it! They did it! They found yeah, it a crazy. way. They found a way. Oh, that game, oh. that result was so relieving uh-huh. in a way. I was just so happy that the guys found a way. To BYU, get a win. The BYU defense thought that they were supposed to play with 10 guys on the field. They didn't discover until after the game that they could, in fact, play with 11. So that was, that was a big story. Oh, boy. That's that. You would think that the coaches would have known I, that. I know. I, yeah, I was that like, was surprising. Hey, come on, guys. And the BYU offense played with 12. Man, was Toledo, was a, they were like rockets. Yeah. Yeah, it was, that was a crazy game, right? That was crazy. 53, Jamal Williams. I'm assuming that's what you're going to talk all day. Oh, that was crazy. He was unbelievable. Yeah. And we, we had, uh, we had Kalani Sitake on the show Saturday. We did a special Saturday show. Yeah. We will re air that, um, entire interview with him, plus talk to ESPN's Trevor Maddich. Where does he think Jamal Williams fits nationally? Because Jamal is second in the country in rushing yards right now. That is cool. Top five in touchdowns scored as well. He's killing it. And so Maddich is going to tell us if, if he's going to go pro. Well, in a way, just because, you know, we'll ask him, where does he think that Jamal ranks among the nation's yeah. elite running backs? And the elite running backs generally get drafted, right? Mm-hmm. Man, he had a great – oh, that was fun. It really was. Well, it, was, it really wasn't. It wasn't fun till the very last second. <laughs> then it was fun. All games have been extremely entertaining. It's just – it is uncanny that 11 points have decided all five yeah. BYU games. That's nuts. That's Both amazing. wins have come by two points thanks to a game-winning field goal at the buzzer. <laughs> Both wins yeah. this year and different kickers, no less. Oh, See? And it seems to me that we're learning. now. We're, it's like we're learning how to finish it now. Maybe, huh? The defense is struggling a little bit the last two weeks against high-powered yeah. offenses. Um, but, yeah, this week's matchup is going to be intriguing against Michigan State, a team that lost in overtime to Indiana. Ugh. They have some injuries to notable guys. And so the ESPN's uh, Football Power Index gives BYU a 50-50 shot. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the line is uh, six for Michigan State, though. Oh, okay. So we'll see. All right. Well, it's going to be a good show, I can already tell. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, Let's do it, Leroy. Uh, it's Matt. My name's Matt. Leroy Jenkins? Matt Townsend. <laughs> Not even close. <laughs> you missed Rats. it by that much. Dr. Jenkins? Uh, no, Dr. Matt. At Dr. Jenkins' show? No, no, Dr. Matt Townsend. Oh, my bad. Hey, you've seen Brian Regan's one-upper sketch, right? Oh, yeah. That That is, I mean, that is the, when that's... I saw that, I was like, Oh, my goodness. I, I work with this person. Are you bringing that lady back up? So I work with this person. You need an astronaut to top her. Well, you played, you played the Price is Right sound again, and so naturally yeah. that's, what right that. that's what I think it's about. That's what I think about. It's start You just start salivating every time we play that song. That's What's her great. name again? She was hilarious. She, what was her name? Yeah. What was yeah. her name again? What was her name? I'm not falling for Suzanne, that. Suzanne? Not was it Susanna? Junk. Was it, yes, Luis. So Susanna. Rosanna Dana. Uh, Sydney, Lindsay. I okay. will tell you I will tell you the name of the person who was the genius behind coming up with that sounder. Okay. His name was Pierre Nujum. Pierre. Pierre. And he is now one of the lead sportscasters for ABC ten in Sacramento, California. How cool. And what was her name? Was it was it it started with an S, didn't it? <laughs> Stacy? <laughs> Sally? Yeah, it started with an S. She. Oh geez. He's not falling for it, Jerome. Um, never does. He never does. Okay, guys, have a great show. Knock them dead. Thanks, Matt. Peace out, yo. Bye. That uh, we're gonna have to go check. We're gonna go find her.
How many people could there be? Come on. Track her down. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, so let's say you get ready to run a marathon. Have you ever run a marathon, Jeffrey? No, I don't even think about running a marathon. Yeah, me either. I've driven thousands of them, but I've never, I've never run one. I, again, I'm like you. I don't see the need. Except today I had that, that leg problem, so I'm thinking I'm going to go run one tonight. Um, but all of a sudden, let's say you're running a marathon and you come and a slow-moving train in Pennsylvania – might have brought some runners' dreams about the Boston Marathon to a halt. The marathon was in full swing Sunday when a slow train crossed the race course near Allentown, stopping runners in their tracks. Here it comes. Boy, this train. This, was the, this is the train. This is actual audio from the train in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Kind of struggling there for a minute. Yeah, struggling. The marathon was in full swing Sunday when the slow train crossed the race course near Allentown, stopping runners. The runner Charlie Young says the race was his last chance to qualify for the 2017 Boston Marathon. 22-year-old Young says he and over 100 others were held up for 10 minutes as the train crossed. He says he missed his qualifying time by 8 minutes. Ah, Blasted! He's not going to be in the Boston Marathon because of that. Uh, registration for the Boston Marathon um, started Monday. For those who qualify, who have a qualifying time, um, who beat their qualifying time by 20 minutes. Missed it by that much. Oh, that's too bad. That's actually quite a lot. Missed it by quite a bit. Yeah. And that's – you got to be you got to be a good runner to hit the Boston Marathon. And, boy, that train, that would just – Tick you off. I'd probably jump on the train. Especially if it was going as slow as it yeah, was. Just climb over it. How You could dodge under it. That's kind of stupid. We don't recommend that. As you know, we always like to end the show with a hero story. Uh, a kind stranger puts fellow passenger's baby to sleep mid-flight. Listen to this. A touching photo of a stranger soothing an airline passenger's crying baby is receiving lots of love around the globe. Monica Nelson of Georgia was aboard a flight to Minneapolis with her 20-month-old son, Luke. When Luke would not stop crying, a fellow passenger came over to help calm the baby. From the very beginning of the flight, the kind gentleman next to me kept Luke entertained the whole time laughing. Nelson wrote to the ABC News in the email, The man, whose uh, first name is Reed, told Nelson that he had two children of his own. She said he then walked with Luke for 15 minutes down the aisle until he was sound asleep. I was truly grateful and couldn't have asked for more. If my own husband was sitting next to me, Nelson said. Another passenger, Andrea Bird, snapped a photo and shared it on Facebook, where it received over 95,000 shares. Bird had been flying with her eldest son when she witnessed Reed comforting Nelson's baby. It really tugged on my heartstrings because my son had just lost his father, Bird told ABC News. It was so good to see this, and I had I had never seen anything like it before. It just reaffirmed that everything would be okay. That's when I snapped the picture. It was a beautiful moment on the plane, shared by all. Well, and so now you're both uh, the heroes of the day for us, uh, those that are sharing it, those that are suffering, folks. That's what this world is about. As we're suffering, it sure is nice and easy to give a hand, to help someone else out, to lift uh, and, and really 
give a little bit of yourself to someone else. And when you do, you get that good feeling in your heart that we get when we hear these hero stories. So a little challenge to all of us. Let's step up. Let's be better neighbors. Let's be more cordial to one another. And uh, let's keep the good feeling going. We'll be back again tomorrow, my friends. Another show, more ideas, more tools and information to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. Until tomorrow, let's make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.